my man, before we were going live, so I was just uh, setting up, and I drop a post, and right before um, Evan hopped on there, don't know if you know Evan Carden, but he's like, you know, he's got a deadlift. The people are all over him whenever I drop his deadlift videos. And he, he drops a comment. I'm like, ah, shit. He might be just joking, but it looks like he's kind of trolling. I'm like, I'm about to go live, and I'm not going to be able to moderate this. So I'm like, play nice now. Play nice now. I have to delete comments <laughs> and shit. Come on, fellas. Don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. I generally don't like to delete comments and stuff too much. Usually I'm like, if it's, as long as it's sports and you're just talking, if you're just going at sport, your deadlift sucks, you're whatever, you're going, you're not, you're not going to win this or whatever the shit. All right. But if it gets personal, then it's like, man, I gotta, gotta do something. This wasn't, this wasn't a particularly, it was just a deadlift comment about that. But, uh, but I'm like, shit, it can, I know how this shit gets out of control. So if I'm tied up for like two and a half hours or whatever the shit we talk, then I'm like, and I can't pay attention last thing you want right yeah no for sure so social for media sure. my friend it can be a cesspool <laughs> you want, i noticed that you're not on um you're not on social media too much no i'm 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 a lurker right like i'm 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 there i'm there stalking i obviously i'm stalking all of the competitive athletes and talking my um my own athletes anyone i might be helping so i'm around but it's 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 not something that i'm posting up right keep it relatively on private life if i can so yeah that and i haven't been you know i haven't been competing myself for quite a of quite a while, so it's it's. I mean, because yeah, you keep a little presence, but I so I'm at the worlds and I see you there, and then I see you in the videos and stuff, so I know what's up. But yeah, the last time you posted was like two years ago. And for people who don't know, um, so I've been on this. Everyone notices I've been on this huge kick. Pardon me, excuse me. Fix my camera for a second. Been on this huge kick, having tons of game day coaches on. And here's what I started finding out. So I can appreciate, like, man, I'm obviously going to have athletes on the show because they're, they're the stars. And some of them have got some absolutely amazing stories. However, even sometimes, and you probably recognize this too, some of the athletes don't even know how the game is played. and won't even necessarily know what they're watching when they're watching it online. And I noticed there's a disconnect between powerlifting public and, and the, the powerlifters and the coaching staff. And there's, um, lately I've been having a lot of coaching staff on, not just because they can actually explain the sport that we're all involved in, which hopefully will, as a platform king list, help move us forward, catch up real quick. Listen, guys, this is the way shit should be running. But also, um, I like having you guys on because you guys have stories and you've been in so many, like the athletes been in one firefight that week. How many firefights are you in in Sweden? You know what I'm saying? You were in so many firefights, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's um I actually think like the, the coach is in such a privileged position in powerlifting because to an extent we're the ones who are actually playing the sport, right? Like we're playing the game. Yeah. The lifters out there and, and they are just just executing, right? They're just doing the lift. But the actual sport, the strategy, the gamesmanship, you know, it's, it's the coach on the side who has to make those calls. And um, you know, there's an extent to which obviously the lift is involved in those decisions. But the the game man, the game's played by the coach, and um, you know that's that that's that's the joy of it. We're out, we're out there, we're out there doing the sport as well, alongside alongside those athletes, right? Um, you need both parts. How cool is it when you have somebody coming in, like for instance, someone comes in ranked like tenth, and you catch you catch them up onto the podium, and you're like, fuck yeah, that was we just straight up game. We jumped seven spots, took a medal. We took somebody's medal. 
We came in there. You know, somebody made some wrong moves. You made some right moves, and you got the most out of your lifter. And that's when, like, you know, it's it's weird. Like, there's there's hitting PRs, and I've been powerlifting like 12 years now. You hit PRs. You hit enough PRs. It's good. There's nothing like it. But there's also there's a reason why there's fantasy league like football, whether it's American football, baseball, whatever the shit. There's all these fantasy leagues because everyone loves being the general manager, manager, moving your troops around and trying to get the most wins. So when you go into an international event, like a world event, and you're a coach, and you have all your nominations, and you're like, game on. You know there's Bill McCarthy and Arian and, you know, Caroline from Sweden and all the rest of them. It's like, game on. Let's see. I see what you got. You see what I got. And you don't necessarily have this in terms of rosters. I mean, you guys have done a lot with New Zealand. Yeah, New, New, New Zealand has massive talent in that. Our, our best of the best can go out there with the best of the most, but we do not have the depth, right? We do not have a deep field. Um, and so we're, when we when we send a full team, often we are ending up playing that game and that, you know, that sort of between 10th and 5th position, you know, which actually strategically is a lot more complicated than when you just jostling for first and second, right? If you're having to play defense and offense at the same time against multiple athletes, that's a lot more complicated game. That's actually where, you know, as a New Zealand coach, you end up spending most of your time, right? Like, you know, Aaron and Bill aren't, um, aren't hanging out, you know, playing between like seventh and fifth that often. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's, it's not the sort of games they that game they've got to really, they got to dig, you got to dig things, man, right? Like you go to USAPR and that's, you know, the, the top the top three or four lifters there that often take out the um, world, right? And so it's a, it's a different game. Now, obviously, when they're in the US, they get to play all, all kinds of tough, challenging meets as well. But, um, but at Worlds, you know, we're playing playing a sort of a different game to them. But but like Canada as well, like we care about those team points, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, for the first time ever, you know, we're starting to get sort of, you know, fifth, sixth for um, the teams, which for a small team like um, like ours is um, is really, really good. Um, and, and the way you get that is by having your top five athletes all getting as high a ranking as they possibly can, right? Like it does matter whether you're going to come fifth or sixth. And so I'm still going to use every tool in the toolbox in order to get the athlete there. Um, and you know that's part of being, um, you know, looking out for your country, your country's points as well as just the athletes, right? So I love, so I love it every I, minute. I love I'll t- always take an opportunity to get a dig at Bill and, and Arian because they uh, love love talking shit. These guys have shown up the world's <laughs> like Michael Jordan and the fucking Dream Team, nineteen ninety two basketball. Okay, settle down, settle down. I wish I wish I could give you guys that for at least one year. Show the American squad, like, oh wow, we're killing it today. No, they're good. But uh, but it does. I, I know you mean too. Yeah, I've learned so I've learned so much from guys, you know. I, I know you mean too. If you're in like fifth, sixth, we cut it for a second there. I, I know when you're in fifth, sixth, and you have to protect and move forward at the same time, or defend and move forward at the same time. You're not just trying to take someone's place, but if you overshoot, you have to protect protect your placing behind you because if you miss on your thirds, someone else is trying to bump ahead. So it actually is like you're right in the fire at all times. You're never smooth sailing and easy. That's right. You're, you're always going to be playing strategy on, um, on deadlifts when you're in that situation, right? Because I'm going to decide to attack once I know that I don't have to defend anymore. So how can I put myself into a position where I've got visibility of those people who are coming after um, our position so that I can then go, okay, we've, we've, we've secured our position. You're not going to lose fifth place now. What do we have to do to try and get into fourth? Um, and the really sad thing is, but what's changing is that often the coaches you're playing against, they don't even know that the game is happening, right? They're, they're, they're not playing that game. They're going, what does my lifter have? What can I um, what can I put in? 
Um, and that's just that's just so exploitable, you know. And that's um, and that's part of that's part of the joy of it as well. It's um, it, it's it's funny too because even your guy's big gun, who's definitely Brett Gibbs, obviously, he's always in the freaking showdown. He's always in the neck to neck fifty fifty showdown. My man can't have an easy meet. But he just no, no. He, he never has an easy out. It feels like like it's a gift and a curse because he's in the biggest showdown, so everyone's watching. First off, which is good. It's good that people care. However, he can't show up at the worlds even when he, when you think he's. We'll get into it in a second. But even when he showed up, 2017 was probably what we thought would have been the easiest go round. Right? Yeah. And it was like, oh shit, man! It's it's always it's 83 kilos a tough division. Uh, do you know why? Mm. It's because there's so many people walking around 883 kilo, or yeah, I mean it's just like if we take the normal distribution of humans, like 83 kilos ends up being in the middle of there, so it's got by far the most depth, right? Um, and that depth means you're going to have uh, the biggest competition, and um, and the only upside ever has been um, IPF points, and now sort of recognizes that depth, and so you know our top our top IPF athletes were really increasing, so. Um, and so that, that's nice for now, but really, if you've got the most people in a division, you're going to have the most talent overall, and you're going to have to be, you know, the absolute best of the best in order to win in that in that sort of stacked class, you know. Yeah, there's always somebody's going to show up. There's always a monster. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Brett, <laughs> Brett says, you know, he, he he owns second, right? Like the, the guys come second to a lot a lot of different people, but um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could I could talk around Brett for for a long time. That guy's um that guy's a hell of an athlete. It's uh yeah. Let's so before we get into too much, because we want to break down some of uh, basically like case in point real life stories and break down what happened and what people saw and what they probably think they saw and what they actually saw. But before we get into that, let's talk about you a little bit for people who don't know you. Um, give us a quick introduction and we'll kind of step along your timeline. Yeah. So um. So I am. Um, I, I hopped into the sport um around sort of two thousand eleven. Uh, prior to that, um, you know, I've been big into um, Taekwondo, so World Taekwondo Federation. So that's its Olympic style, you know, where everyone's wearing the paddings. Uh, it's kind of like the most most sports like of the martial arts, and that like it's not very martial artsy, right? Like we're really we're, we're point scoring. Um, there's 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 plenty of knockouts, but like it's a martial art where you don't like to punch the other person in the face, and so like that's kind of that's kind of some weak shit, right? As well, right? But it does mean you end up with a lot of pretty pretty sweet kicks to the head and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And so I don't know, maybe that affects me now. Um, <laughs> but um, I, had a, I, had a, I had a good run in that. So I did one sort of international meet there and that was, um, um, that was good fun. But, uh, you know, after, after sort of retiring from that sport, um, I've been going to the gym all of that time, did my first sort of squat terribly in, um, in, around, in around sort of 2008 uh, and found um, you know, the one guy in my gym who um, who could sort of squat properly because no one was using squat racks back then, right? So, like, CrossFit hasn't really exploded in New Zealand yet. Um, and so I go and get some advice. And this guy's a, this guy's a powerlifter, um, a guy called Jing Seth. And he um, he sort of roped me into sort of doing some training with them um, and got more and more into it. And I did my first well, a novice in New Zealand in 2011. And in 2012, I actually, I, I moved to France for a year. Um, and I did my first, like, official, like, sign up for an IPF affiliate was in France. And France is um, it's quite different from, um, from the other affiliates that I, that I know well. Um, and so we do lots of, um, like, team powerlifting events over there. We were just doing a single discipline. So, like, I'd go out and I'd be the deadlifter for a team of threes. So we'd have someone do squats, someone do bands, deadlift, combined point. It's just done by Wilkes points, right? And so that's... Um, that's a whole extra sort of competition season. They have their 
um, uh, that's really fun. But you know, I did um, I did regionals there and um, and three look raw, and it was it was still really new there. Most people were um, were still doing equipped, um, and so you know, I'm pretty thin field. And um, and then I came back to New Zealand, um, and I was just hooked. And we had the um, we had the Commonwealth Champs uh, in New, in New Zealand at the end of this year, and I just I didn't realize how much of a privilege it was going to be to, um, to be at that meet. And I did, um, did some of my first sort of game day handling there as well, um, not knowing what I was doing at that level yet, but, um, but still having a lot of fun and still learning. Um, and we had, um, we had Mike Tushera and Kimberly Wolford guest lift at that event in, um, in, in 2013. Oh, wow. And, and, and we, was, we were running equipped and raw um, um, both, both events at the meet. And I got to see Brett Gibbs win gold and three lift equipped. And then three days later, come out and win gold and three lift war, um, as well as seeing um, Kim and Mike lift. And so it was just, it was just this amazing competition that we got to, um, that we got to have in New Zealand. And um, it was certainly the biggest competition we'd ever run in New Zealand. We had no idea what we were doing in terms of time frame. So, so literally when I was, um, I was handling in the, in the one, in the one of five um, junior men's, um, and the last deadlift hit the floor at 1.30 a.m. in the morning, right? Like, <laughs> it's just, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's out of control, young, um, you know, really young sport in New Zealand, still pretty, like, young sport in terms of raw globally. Um, that, was, um, that was amazing. And so I kept on lifting. I went um, to New Zealand and Commonwealth Champs in 2015 in Vancouver, Canada, and that's where I got, you know, quite close with the, um, with the Canadian team. So a friendship that's lasted um, right along and, very first chance I got 2017. Um, there was, you know, I was the um, I was the you know, coach of the New Zealand team there. But to be honest, I was just the we, we had six athletes, and I was the only person who was going who wasn't um, um, who wasn't lifting. And so, with small countries like ours, right, like often the the head coach is the girlfriend of the one guy who's going to that event, right? Like it's just who who can you get? And um and in years past, I mean, Brett's gone to gone to ten world champs, right? And for and for most of them, it was like. Find, find another athlete to handle you on the day. And that's something that's, and, and that's how it was done. Whereas um, these days when we're looking, you know, worlds in, worlds in Calgary, we had, we had 28 athletes, which is the, mm-hmm. the largest New Zealand team um, to ever go. Um, and we had, um, we had a lot of people um, there to, um, to coach and do, do really good work as well. And that's when, you know, that's when I think New Zealand as a team really came onto the, the world stage as well. And we got to show some of that, um, that depth of talent and um, take our multiple gold medals and, set multiple um, world, um, world records across, you know, not just Brett Gibbs. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was, um, that was an amazing meet. I remember, you guys had quite the team. I remember um, there was one girl, I think she was in the 72s, and for the longest time, real pretty girl, um, long Barbara. hair, what's that say? Yeah, Barbara Arbo, I think. That's yeah, she's it. world powerlifting now, but yeah. She's done powerlifting? Oh, she's world powerlifting now. World powerlifting, yeah. Okay, well, uh, sorry to hear but, but uh, yeah, she was, I remember she was pretty far back throughout, but came tight enough. Like, you know, not missing a lot of lifts. And this is some strategic stuff that you guys are doing. So she was fairly far back in terms of nominations, hanging tight when everybody's kind of pulling ahead. And then the deadlifts came. And holy <laughs> shit, was that a run. Talk about zero to a hero real quick. It was, it was crazy how... You just yeah. hang tight, stay in the game plan, don't get pulled out of pocket. We're losing a little ground. We're gonna hold. Hold. Stay yeah. on the stay on the proper game plan and we're gonna take our shots when we need it. And that's really when people start missing lifts, because percentage-wise, we'll get into this in a second, but a lot of times people, if you miss your your third squat, you're gonna miss your, your third deadlift as well. I think Abby said it was like over 50%. Yeah, over 50%, 50%, right? Yeah. yeah. So more than likely. So when you see these patterns. 
and people are missing early. Should we go heavier? Hold. Let them keep missing. Yeah. Stay stay in the pocket because come the deadlifts, we're going to make our charge. Um, you're, you're 100% right. In terms of um, previously, Avi was talking about game day coaching when he first got in the game. And Avi's an OG. He's been in the game for a long time. And he's one of the dudes that when I ask people, who's somebody either that mentored you or if you went head-to-head with them, you're like, ah, shit, we better be on point. Um, a lot of people are like, definitely Abby. And he was saying when he first got in the game, he read that rule book like it was a quarterback reading a playbook. Okay, And he knew front and back. And then he read when he got into the nominations. Went over the nominations. Social media came around. Oh, everybody likes posting on social media. Now he's gathered from results pages. And back in the day, we didn't have quite the resources that came to results pages. you got to be resourceful yourself. Go to, you know, these, like, check out the nominations. Go to their national championships. Pull the results, results pages. And start crunching the numbers yourself about how yeah. often top five, top five threats. How often do they miss their thirds? How often do they miss their, their, their deads, uh, um, squats, bench, whatever? Start crunching these numbers. And then going in there with game plans. And he said, initially, people were showing up to competitions. And it was like you said, where it was just, you're, you're another powerlifting athlete. And you're literally like, what do you think you've got? You got five kilo in you after the first squat. You think you got, what do you want to jump? Five kilo, 10 kilo, what's comfortable for you? Where do you want to end off at? And they're just focusing on the, the lifter, which is fine if that's mm-hmm. a max test day in the gym. But Abby's like, they're not even paying attention to me. They're not even paying attention to the rankings, the scorecard. And he realized this. And he's like, holy shit, I got a possibility here. So Abby came on. And when he came on at the time, Canada was not a powerlifting nation. Okay, We're not in the U.S. right now. But there was a few years there where Canada went from a so-so nation to start taking second in the world. And a lot of people are like, Canada is not, we don't have like the population uh, of some of these other nations and whatnot. We should not be doing what we're doing. For us to be outmaneuvering people with far greater depth of competition and far greater talent, but to be doing what we're doing, it's because Abby City is like, I started moving people first slowly from 10th to top five. And then we got there from top five. Now we're hitting on the podium consistently enough. Overall team points are gathered and we're coming in second. We're coming in, you know, we're, we're consistently yeah. up there. But then he said, other coaches start getting hip to the game. Some people actually reached out to him and he started mentoring him. Your boy Rory started hitting him up every here and there. Yeah. And um, he says it's been basically a game changer now. Now, there's a lot of sharks out there who are who are up mm-hmm. on the game in terms of game day coaching. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's um it's 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 been an absolute changing game. And it's and it's even changed a lot since like I mean, by the time I came in, Arby's already an expert, right? Like when I land in Belarus in twenty seventeen. I had a stellar first day. I'm coaching um, one, one of the M1s, a guy called um, Andy Mann. He ends up taking out silver in total. He goes nine for nine, six PRs across the board. I'm like, fuck, man, I really know what I'm doing. I did not know what I was doing, right? Like, um, that was a, you know, so, so that's a game. This is just a single person showdown, and the math's, and the math's, and the math's pretty simple. Um, but then as the week keeps on progressing, I start handling, you know, in, in the midst of some tighter competition. Um, I start seeing, you know, uh, like Avi and Ari and sort of two guys who are at that mate who I was watching really closely going, okay, this is, this is, this is how it's done, looking at how they're prepared, how they're thinking. Um, and then I had this absolute privilege, which was that um, we were in, it was the under-63s um, opens, and um, the U.S. team didn't have Jennifer Thompson there that year. They didn't have a 63 nominator, so Aaron's just kind of floating around. 
And I said, Aaron, you're going to help me run this. Um, and um, just, just for the deadlift strike, just to give me a flavor for it, because it was very, very tight field at the top. Um, and I think, I think we we're, we're, we're shooting something like um, something like fifth on total, but we're also looking at that bronze medal of deadlift. I'm like, how, how do I go and get this? Um, and do you know who we were, who we were going after, who we, who we had to hunt down? This is you know sick. her. Yeah, it's Christine Castro, right? Oh, and so, and so, and so, and so now I've got Arian um, helping, um, help, helping me put numbers again. So now no, Castro didn't didn't have her best day, right? But um, but we did manage to put together um, um, our, our best day, and you know, get that deadlift medal, um, get that um, get that total position, um, and um, and Arian was just there, and I could just see him working the score sheet and just knowing, um, you know, how these other lifters going to be thinking about how their attempts go up. Um, and when I saw that, I was like, no, nah, this is, I like, I want to be good at this. I want to be really good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that session on, I was like, we've got to think harder and better about, about all of this stuff. And unfortunately, I didn't learn the, learn the lesson fast enough because a few days later, um, Brett took second. Um, but, but that was the sort of the defining time. I was like, okay, there's, there's some real skill for this. Um, and, you know, the, the main disadvantage we have in New Zealand is that since we don't have the numbers, we don't get that international practice at the same volume as the other coaches do. And so we have to find other ways of getting that practice. Right. And so, you know, Rory and I will watch a lot of the big meets together and we're watching these meets on the live stream from New Zealand. We ourselves are estimating what is each of this lift, this lift are going to choose next. What do we think they're good for on their thirds? And we just game day strategy re- remotely session after session, after session, after session, tuning, you know, that I, or um, the strategy against his lifters and you know, never looked back and we came back in 2018 um, really, really well prepared. Um, and yeah. It, it, there's nothing like, if you're, whether you're a coach or an athlete, look, you can read all the, all, all the articles you want, um, ask all the questions you want, but when you're in game day and on the large, you know, the, the biggest platform really is the IPF World Championships in terms of the lifters, people involved, and if you take an L there, that will make you do your research. That will keep you up at night. You're like, that's never going to happen again. Why did that happen? What, what could we have done better? And other sports, when it comes to American football, okay? Um, probably the same thing with rugby over there. I know you guys got the All Blacks, but when it comes to American football, they watch footage. The coaches watch footage and, and go over footage just to see scenarios. Like, what are we dealing with? What would we have done? And real quick, let's talk about... It's not just uh, for anybody who maybe didn't see the Abby podcast and fuck, you better double back and, and listen to it. But yep. there are some variables with the chip, body weight, lot number, and who's lifting, preceding who. Um, we can briefly talk about these variables just so anyone listening or watching doesn't get lost with what we're talking yep. about. It's going to make it a lot easier to follow us. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, um, so I start with body weight. Like, if I'm at, at the start of a, at the start of a competition, so um, um, so once we're there and everyone's weighed in, um, I'm going to be I'm going to be building up this this sheet and take and just taking some brief notes that I can make decisions quickly, right? And so I I care about their body weight, and in particular, I don't care about what it is. I just care about whether it's heavier or lighter than um than, than my athlete, right? Because if it's if it is lighter than ours, then we're going to have to be have a total that is larger than theirs in order to win, which usually means two point five kilos. Um, and, and if theirs is heavier than ours, then I know that we just have to match them in order for us to take the win, right? Because we're always looking for what's the smallest weight that, we, that we're going to put on the bar in order to get the outcome that we want, right? 
Um, and then lot number is, is about, you know, is what order you weigh in it, which, which sometimes can be really important to your guy, right? Like, if, like a, lot, a low lot, lot number has just one advantage, which is that if you're lot number one, you're going to get the weigh-in first, which if you've done a big cut, you know, that could be an extra 45 minutes for you to put weight back on your body, and that's, that's, that's going to be super valuable to you. But for the rest of the day, it's a disadvantage. You want the highest number possible, and that's because when weights are equal on the bar, it goes in lot number order. And so if you want to be able to see what someone lifts and see what they put in, you, you want to have the higher lot number. So you can have the same weight on the bar, but still have that visibility and strategic advantage. Um, and then when it comes to chips, chips just refers to the fact that whenever you're in a competition, at that level of competition, you are allowed to chip the record for it. So if you're at Worlds, so you can put a chip on the world record. Um, if you're a Commonwealth champs, you're on Commonwealth champs, same for your local and for your um, na- um, national meets. And and that just that just means that particularly if you were the heavier athlete, now you don't have to worry about that body weight advantage. That body weight advantage is gone because you've got this extra 0.5 kilos and so assuming the other person doesn't end up with a chip on their bar as well um then then you've you've negated that effect you're effectively going to make the other lifter do two and a half kilos an extra two kilos more than what you do in total in order to get that win but i'll tell you why i don't think that um that triple chip double chip scenario and why and why i think it can actually almost be a trap in terms of your maths And, and and this is what i do and that's um, so the reason why it doesn't matter is because sometimes you're chipping the record and the record already has chips in it, right? And yeah. so when we got to, and so when, so um, Russell Orhey, for example, um, on his third squat in Calgary, he's taking uh, 298.5, right? Which is, um, you know, that's already like two chips, but it's actually only one chip because it's um, the record was set by John Hack. It was 298. He's chipping that record. Um, and then we're chipping his, right? So now it's a three chip scenario, um, but like that's not, that's kind of a convoluted way of thinking about it. But then when we go, okay, how do we think about bench press coming up? Bench press coming up, we're going to be on the world record in our second attempt. Um, do we just want to be um, chipping the, um, so do we want to go to 10.5, right? And so we don't actually, because we want to make sure that we don't make the chips add up to a whole 2.5 kilo. Because if we do, then there's no more chips in the game, right? And we know that both Russell and, um, and Brett aren't going to be playing with chips on, on deadlift that day. Um, and so any chip advantage anyone had is going to disappear, right? And so how can we make sure that we're still keeping that chip advantage and we're thinking about what those bench attempts are? Um, and so, and so the, the easier way to think about it is that at the end of bench, I just look at their subtotals, right? And I, and I, and I, go, I get the subtotal for every athlete. And one, of the, and one of the reasons why I don't rely on the, on the score sheet for this is because when you're at smaller meets, sometimes the score sheet disappears, right? Like if they've got don't have enough monitors, and the person's on good looks and they're typing in the next session, you just can't get access to it, right? And so I'm I'm always make sure that I've got my own sort of equivalent of the score sheet. I just want to know what they've got, what are they bench? What's the total? Are they lighter or heavier than me? And then I just care about this one number, which I call I call the differential, right? So how many more kilos or less kilos than this lifter do I need to deadlift in order to beat them? And I have that for every single athlete. And then for the rest of the day, it means I'm like I'm not I'm usually not looking at the prognosis column. Um, I'm not going to get get conf- like quite quite a complicated score sheet. Sometimes I'm not going to get confused by that. I just just I see this lifter, I see the attempt they've put in, I look at what the differential is, I go, am I in position or not position um, against that, and then I, I I work from there. So so that's how I end up working. And in that case, I don't care what the chip is. I just work out how much more I need than the, than what they're doing, how much less um, in my stolen position, and then I take that. And, and that's and that's my starting point. For um, um for deadlift strategy and, and and that just means you're not thinking about one chip two chip three chip like it doesn't matter what's what's the number how much more and then as as I said you're just going to be able to do that math 
really fast. Mm. Um, and, and once and once you've gotten those bits taken care of, now we can start thinking about, okay, what order are things going to happen and where am I going to be putting in place for routines and, and, and those sorts of things. So yes. that's, your, that's your starting point. What's the difference between their deadlift and your deadlift that gets you the outcome that you need? It's, it's because Abby was talking about, you got to do math real quick. And you can't be mm. just, don't vibe it, don't guess it. If you misload the bar even two kilo or whatever it is, and it's just two extra kilo, you might, well, that's nothing. Well, when you're talking about the top end, that's the tipping point. That's everything. Yeah. Every, there's, every, there's, there's, there's always a two and a half kilo jump that you wouldn't make, right? right. There's always one that you would make and always yeah. one that you wouldn't make. That's right. that going to happen. And I, and I have seen on the world stage, people take two and a half kilos more than they needed to and just miss it and give up, you know, whether it's a total position or a deadlift position. Um, and that just breaks my heart, you know, like, like get the numbers right. It, it, it count, it counts as a mistake, you know, and there's, there's no one else to hold accountable for it other than the person who was running the numbers. Or some, so you, <laughs> sometimes I was about to say, sorry, to cut you off. I was about to say, if you ever do that as the handler, misload it, you're like, oh, please cover my mistake and hit that. So nobody yeah. has to, so nobody has to bring this up to me. That's right. That's that, that's right. Oh, well, I'm still going to bring it up to you though. Yeah. <laughs> if Rory did it, you're like, Rory, we got to talk, my man. What's up? What yes. happened there, dude? What what are we doing here? Yeah. And um, and yeah. so there's those variables as well as um, obviously you could change your opening squat, you could change your opening deadlifts, uh, bench press as well. And um, so some people at times, in terms of you're done your subtotal, it's a guy's a subtotal guy or subtotal girl. And you have, mm. if they're looking ahead at the forecast or, if, you know, that you have an, a placeholder opening deadlift that you plan on changing anyways, it can put some pressure on people. If they're looking ahead being mm. like, well, if we're anticipating these kind of jumps, et cetera, and, his de- and by footage, his deadlifts will be going great, but you're only showing what you want to show in your footage on social media. Those are some other games you could play by. You change up your opening deadlift and the guy was chasing a forecast that was never there. Or you yeah. also can change your, your final deadlift twice, put in placeholders. So there's jockeying around. And there's also, while the game is in motion, you're, it's very favorable to be afterward, after the person has already lifted. So if you can get ahead by the second deadlift and you're ahead on weight, it's fucking, it's very difficult yeah. for the other person to pull yeah. the I, I think I think openers are a pretty hard place to lie about how strong you are these days. Like if you've got if you're posting any of your shit online, right? Like everyone else's estimates of what you're going to lift that day, they're not going to be off by a lot. But move, but moving openers is something that you don't want to do all the time. Otherwise, everyone just sort of sees yeah. through it, um, aka Bill McCartney. Um, <laughs> or if, if um, but when, but when you are going to do it, you're doing it not because you're unnecessarily playing with how people are projecting your total, but just to get that position, as you said, right? So you're just trying, you're just saying, actually, could we afford to open later? And so that's, <clears throat> that's an important, um, an important question to be asking your lifters, right? Is not where do you want to finish? It's how heavy can be really confident in opening, right? Like this isn't a game to play with beginner and intermediate lifters, right? You should be opening on something real safe, like seven RPE, 89, 90%. Um, is, is, is where you want to be playing on that opener. But if you've got a very experienced athlete and it's a competitive environment, um, pushing that 91, 92%, particularly on deadlift, like can get you a lot of strategic advantage. Um, and so with someone who, um, who knows what they're doing, the, the question is actually how heavy can we open? And then I'm going I'm to decide like what, because I'm not going to make you open heavier than you need to as well, right? And so 
I always have a range for um, for deadlift openers in particular. Um, but the other thing to remember is that you know at the world at the world champs, not everyone is playing the total game, and and some people and some people are there because it's a hell of an experience, and they got a chance at a discipline medal, and um you know in, in one of the three, um and so they might play squats and bench differently to what you would when you're trying to build the total, um and that's okay. Like I like I don't. I don't like to do it too much because, as I said earlier, I'm obsessed with that kind of team points thing. Like, let's get the highest total you can in the highest position that you can on the rankings. Um, but not everyone's playing like that, right? And so, if you've got if you've got a chance to get a medal um, in the squat and bench, you have to play that like deadlift, but with no changes, right? And so that looks like getting control from the first lift. And so you have to ask the same question: What's the heaviest? We can um, um we can open on squats today safely because I need to have visibility of these people that you're competing against for the squat medal in order to get it. That's it's it's risky games as I said. You want to be doing it with someone who's pretty experienced and you want to be really confident in that opener. Um, but you need that visibility so that you can match the jumps, stay ahead of them, and have a chance of getting that um that medal right. And so sometimes it's confusing because people are playing that game around you and you think it's game based strategy and it's just it's just discipline medal strategy, right? And so you, mm-hmm. you sort of sort of keep an eye on that, try and try and figure out what they're and what they're here for. And you can exploit that as well, right? Like so there might be there might be someone who's playing in that um, you know, third, fourth, fifth arena who gets distracted by going after those medals, right? And so then they end up missing that third squat, which as Arby said, that you know, that's that's gonna hurt them that day. And if you can see those sorts of mistakes are on the horizon and you can set your athlete up to take advantage of that, take position from someone who they're not necessarily stronger than, but who they can have a better performance than. And it's um you do see some people also, they want to start, they want to open heavy, and it's almost like a, a sense of like bravado, it's ego lifting where they're like, I'm opening. I'm opening yeah. with this. Yeah. It's like what Long is reason. that strategically, or is it just ego where you you it's like Nobody really cares, like, your strategy. You're asking about the opener, but it's where you're going to end up. That you're, that, yeah. That's why you're asking, because then we can see everybody coming because we're lifting last or at least later than the majority. Whereas some people, yeah. they don't understand. They don't understand the strategic advantage that you're trying to just like, I'm opening with this. It's like, are, do you have room to grow from there? Are you sure? Is this like a, a strategy? Do you know what you're doing? Or are you just going to... O- opening, opening heavy doesn't mean you're going to squat heavier that day, right? That's it just right. means That's you're going to have a little bit of visibility on that first in that second attempt. I mean, you might put yourself into a position where you force lots of people to miss on their, um, on their third, and, and it ends up being your second attempt that ends up securing one of those medals, right? Right. Um, and so, as I say, it's not a game that I like to play because I'm, I'm generally after what's the highest position someone can get. That, that's the thing that matters, right? Is that you come home, you know, whether it's top 10, top five or podium, um, you get to have that for the rest of your life. And that's going to be more meaningful to you than I got the silver and bench and, you know, in, in 2014, this one time, right? Like that's, it doesn't, it's, it's. It's super cool in the moment, and you want to pick up those medals as often as you can because it's a great vibe for the athlete, um, especially. Um, but it doesn't play into team points, um, and I don't think it's it's not it's not really the sport, right? It's kind of the sort of bonus um, um, side competition. So, mm. so you, I, I, it was interesting to me when Rory told me just how when you guys decided something's got to change for new team New Zealand, and you guys had to up your game, and then all of a sudden you started doing things like Rory got into it. Um, didn't give up any trade secrets. Don't worry. But he was saying, like, um, after sessions, you debrief. Where did mm. you come in nominated? What were the moves we made? What were the moves the opposing coaches made? And where did we end up? If you did fuck up yeah. and drop the ball, why did you fuck up and drop the ball? What could you have done differently? And um, yeah. and, and then you debrief together. 
and then you move on. Mm. So then afterwards, you have all this data. Just like a programming coach has all this data, the game day coach has all this data and crunches numbers like programming coaches crunch their numbers. That's that right. Yeah. No, so we, yeah, we don't. I, 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 I tend not to care too much about where someone's nominated because I just don't trust any nomination data um, that's out there. And so where someone's ranked in nominations, uh, not, not that important, right? I care about the decisions on the day um, and the quality of those decisions. And I don't even, I don't even, I'm not even really assessing um, how well that person transferred their training to the competition day either because there's, there's so many factors that can come there. But you can, you can be having a non-strong day and still have a perfect performance in terms of decision-making from the coach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, the, 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 st- the starting assessment that I would do, like, if you want to start looking at your own coaching experiences that you've done, the first thing that you'd say is, how many attempts did we make, right? So how many out of nine to nine am I going? And I might look at a whole competition. I might coach 10 people. What's, wh- where am I averaging, right? So am I, am I putting weight on the bar that lifters can do? Um, and they get a little bit more nuanced than that, and I say, okay, what about – third attempt deadlifts um, because if the person doesn't lose position and they attempted the minimum they needed to do to move up a position they, and they missed that lift, that's not a bad call. That, that, that call is like correct, right? And that they didn't give up any position and they did the minimum they needed to do to try and get a new position. So that's fine as well. Um, and then I eliminate any decisions where a person has only increased their attempt by two and a half kilos. If you increase by two and a half kilos and you miss there's no, no no weights left on the bar, right? And so once you once you've taken out those, you can start to say, okay, so where are we losing kilos? And then we do we do this um, assessment just called kilos lost, which is that if someone's for every attempt that you miss, what's the difference between two and a half kilos less than that and the attempt that you did make before that? And so for example, if you go, um, you know, two ten, two twenty on squats, and then you take two thirty and you miss it. Then there's a seven and a half kilos that if you'd cho- if you'd chosen any weight in that range, there's there's a chance that you would have got that right. So if you'd gone to 27 instead of 230, um, then you, you know, non-zero chance you would have got that. So we call that seven and a half kilos loss. And we look at that as sort of a percentage of the um, of their total. I mean, get, and get sort of a, a feeling for how good um, a coach is performing across all those. And this is the assessment we run on ourselves as well, right? Um, and that's, that's, that's a really good starting point. And then, and then once you're getting those numbers as low as possible, like zero kilos loss would be like a nine for nine, nine for nine day type thing, or it could be a, um, it could be a seven for nine day. Um, but you're, you only miss your third deadlift and someone misses their bench after you bump the two and a half kilos. Right. But like those, those, those are good days, right? Those are, those are good sessions, um, a plus on, on basic mistakes. Then you can start to um, look at some of these more strategic elements and ways you might've been able to, force errors better in other people or get in better positions and those sorts of things. But you got to get those basics right first, which is make lifts, right? Put weight on the bar that the lifter can go out and achieve. Um, I know when Matt Gary um, does his massive meta-analyses on, um, on competitions, right? The people who are taking gold usually averaging like 8 to 8.1 out of 9, right? Like they're not um, they're not going 6 for 9. Like unless you just in Norris, there's like just not a viable strategy for you to be, um, for you to be winning competitions. Um and so you you got to be going out and doing doing those lifts, right? What's your um what's your quote for um for Maria T on her um on her on her on her third world champions don't miss the lifts? <laughs> did, did, I, did I have a good quote? Was it on the live stream? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Ah, uh, see, my man. Here's the thing. I, it's so weird. I have done so many sessions on like so many worlds that um. I see quotes and hear my voice on videos, and I don't even remember saying it. I'm like, whoa, I've had some gems. I'm like, oh shit, okay, 
had some good stuff then, but I don't, I talk so much live TV where it's like yeah. so many hours, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's interesting that you guys would like, because you, here's what I think is going on for a lot of, a lot of ways in powerlifting in general. I think initially it was technical work and all of us as powerlifters started really honing in on how do we get the most out of our levers in the squat, bench, deadlift, low bar, blah, 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 whatever it is, sumo and the different styles, whatever. After that, there was like a, a big wave. Now we got to get a lot tighter on our programming. Guys like Mike T started introducing RPE. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that, that contributed towards that. And then the programming really came on point. But when it came to handling, the styles and, and just the breakdown of collection of data that you just described. Yeah. I mean, how... You know how few people probably do any of this. Like, how, how do you collect that? How do you say, is it just, well, we went eight for nine, nine for nine, but do you know, like, why and, and how did it play out? And let's talk about that. And, and a lot of handlers really couldn't. And um, mm. it's, uh, I don't know if, if all national, well, I know a lot of national teams don't have these checks and balances in place and start changing information amongst other teams. Like, did you, to develop this, did you do it on your own? Did you talk to other nations and say, how are you guys critiquing? I know you've mentioned, you know, Matt, Gary, Bill McCarthy, Abby Silverberg, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've spoken personally to, you know, all the, all the people you've just said to learn everything I can about how they both do things as a, as an individual, as a game day coach um, and how they think about things at that, at that national level. Um, and we, we didn't ask for permission. We've got a small, um, you know, it's a small community here, here in New Zealand. We've only got, well, I think, like 600 um, powerlifters in New Zealand. We've got a small committee. Um, and I just started writing reports. I don't think anyone had done that before, but I just started doing midday reports. Um, and so um, we would write those, and Rory and I would, um, would collaborate those um, on those in the future, and we'd go and talk to and, um, and, and you know, interview the other coaches who were handling and making decisions and just sort of incorporate it in, and then we'd just present it back to, um, um, to our executive. Um, yeah, just just to bring some self accountability and some you know um, reflexivity into it as well, right? Like you you've got to look at all of your own work in order to in order to get better. I mean, the other way to get better is just to do it a lot. And there are a lot of people out there who I think you know I just in, intuit it quite well. They've been doing it for um, for a very long time, and you and you can get to that level this way. Um, but better, if you want to get better today, um, go and you know, get really self critical um, on how you're making decisions and hold yourself accountable to it and try not to make the same. Same mistakes in the future. If you don't, it's kind of like a, a a coach who does programming shoots you a program for like four weeks and doesn't even hit you back and want to like where are your numbers yeah. at? How does it done? They're just shooting you off templates. That's the equivalent of a game day coach who's not collecting data, not analyzing what happened afterwards, not looking at where did we lose some kilos here? What happened? Mm. And even if we won, what happened? Yeah. Let's, let's take a look. Let's take a let's, let's crunch some numbers here and. There, there is going to be a difference between individuals like yourself who are literally like an American football coach reviewing film and be like, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Why did they do that? Because there's a chip in place. They had lock number. They didn't have body weight. You know, like if, when you start looking at all the variables and you're jotting this down on your notes as you're watching video and then you're like, oh, wow, okay. I wouldn't have taken that itself. Let's see how it shakes up. This is the shit that's going to separate come game day when the sharks start smelling blood. And somebody's around that, that that hasn't done their homework, so to speak. Um, what nations are doing their homework 
And have you seen situations where some nations are just totally vibing and you're like, oh, love, you ain't over the head. Well, I mean, I, 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 I admire all of the work of both the US and Canada team um, from this perspective, but in part, it's just because like I know them better and I know, um, I know the guys that are doing that. Um, that work and um, there are there are other like every country has both good handlers um and and bad um sorry good game day coaches and bad game day coaches um except for sweden they just, they just have just have two and they and they, <laughs> they seem to always be making pretty good calls although i'm going to um we, we can dive into the email norling um case study later on because i think it's probably less magical than um than um than we remember it um but you know um sweden i really look up to um um carolina and um and the coaching she does there um, and then the, the whole U.S. team, right? Like it's not, um, I mean, like early on, like Matt, Gary, and Susie, just like they're just that nine for nine team, right? Like they can just they can just see that they've got such great um, rapport with their athletes, getting the best out of all their athletes, not making any mistakes on, um, um, you know, on, like get, getting positional advantage for their athletes, just making really really good decisions. And then obviously Ariane um, has um, was doing an awesome job with the juniors, um, and now with the open lifters. But their assistant coaches are like they're not going to make mistakes either, right? So like, um, I mean, Harney was an assistant. He's our, um, head of junior team coach, doesn't make mistakes. And then one guy who I haven't heard mentioned the last few times, but who um, who I really admire, um, um, Eric Boghorn. Um, and he takes a different approach to what, you know, Avi does, what I do, what Rory does. Um, and um, and which, which really surprised me. It's kind of this counter argument to this, this hyper-preparedness, right? And so I'll tell, I, one of the disadvantages to being as prepared as we are in terms of particularly our own athletes game dates, right? You know, normally we'll have like an A-track plan, we're doing well, B-track, like thinking about what the numbers are. Um, Eric intentionally doesn't prepare those numbers. He prepares final warm-up and opener. Um, and then he does the rest by feel on the day. And the guy averages like 8.5, 8.6 for nine, like for like an entire USAPL Nets, right? And, and he's just, he's incredibly good at getting the athletes to go nine for nine. Just incredibly good at that. There's just, there's just something about the way that he can look at an athlete and he tells you that athlete is good for this more. He just doesn't make mistakes there. Like, like the rest of us, um, us humans do. And I assumed it was crazy preparation. And then I spoke to him and it just wasn't. And so I'm so like, okay, that's, that's a different way of doing it. Like, like I, I, I can't do it that way. Um, I need to, to get the confidence. I need to have, you know, really good um preparation for um for in terms of what i think my own athletes capable of but he's just got you know an incredible eye for that and that's just doing the reps um rory and i call this eye tender you know tender units for measuring speed you've got to tune how good you are at estimating how much your athlete and other athletes have and the thing that most people don't realize is that you can be better at predicting what another what your competitor is capable of doing than the competitor can or their coach can Right. You can be better than they can. There's, and, there's, and there's a few reasons for that. So, so one is that you can just be better because you've just done it more and you think about it more. But the other reasons is that you are less biased yes. by how, um, how you've seen them train, what you've seen them do in the past. Um, if you're the athlete, you're less biased by how you're feeling. Um, you're less biased by things like round numbers, which comes up surprisingly often when you face in the U.S., um, you know, are they going to take 270 or 272? Are they going to take 270 because uh, it's 600 pounds? Um, so like th- th- there's these little things there that mean that you can do a better job of guessing what they've got. And then the trick is to find the Venn diagram, right? Where you want to push them to take something that you don't think they can do, but they think they can do. And so it's really important to know what they think 
they can do, right? And and then you want to you want to find the higher number in that range um, where they're wrong, or at least they're going to be wrong like a decent percentage of the time, and you want to push them into that, right? Um, and so you know, I'm keen to dive into um, Mallow versus um, um, Lawrence from um, from 2019 Worlds. Really, it comes down to what did the, what did the lifters think they can do, and, and 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 were they right about that? Right, and we didn't get we didn't get to play out that strategy on the day, but um, but we can we can we can play that strategy, and we can and we can think about how that would look. It almost um almost always to a lifter, they think they got more in them than they do. I find I almost always when I ask a friend, uh, like whenever if you go three for three in squats. Very rarely does someone ever tell me I hit it right on the money unless it's a crazy grinder. They're almost always yeah. like five more kilo, ten more, and I'm like, shit, I don't know about that. It's almost always that. If you just totally give it up to the lifter, and oftentimes, like you said, the, their coaches might be like that as well because you have no emotional attachment to these to these numbers. Um, we'll get into some of these some of this game today. I just want to say it's it's interesting you said about the one coach who knows how to get the most out of their lifter. I remember Jeff Butt, who's been head co- he's been powerlifting since the 90s maybe even 80s he's on the canadian coaching staff and yep. he's he's a feisty guy too one time he's handling me and i remember he's after a squat he knew he knew i was i was getting close and i was running out of steam and he had to like show confidence and not be afraid because he could tell by the look on a fucking face i was rattled and when your lifters rattled how do you turn them around and he knew he told me afterwards over beers I did what I always do to turn some around. You came to me and I said, do you think seven and a half or do you think 10? And I was like, holy shit, Jeff. I think five. He was five. I think it felt heavier than it moved. You don't know how quickly it moved. And I was like, shit, Jeff, I don't know. I think five. He goes, fine. But five you get. And I was like, I'll get five. (laughs) And then when I went out there, I'm thinking, well, if he thinks I got 10 and I'm splitting the difference of five, five I'm going to get. And this is the way he worded, and he knew afterwards. I'm like, dog, I saw the video. That shit didn't look like I had 10 more. He goes, oh, no, it did not look like you had 10 more. I just told you, it's like, oh, no, love, you did not have 10 more. I'm just trying to get your confidence oh. up. Because if I look worried, you were already worried. You could tell by the yeah. look, right? And you came to me. If I'm fearless, you're fearless. If I say 10, and you're like, holy shit, really? And then you split the difference with a five, and I'm like, all right. Well, five you get. And I'm like, all right. Then it's like, you know, it's that confirmation. There's something about the confirmation that you get where you're like, I can get fucking five. Before, swear to God, man, when I walked off that second squad, I was like, I think that was, that was it. I think that was a wrap. And he was like, no, it's not a wrap. So it's, it's, there is that getting out of a lifter and it's different. If you just try to do the old go get him shit or just yell in someone's face, it doesn't always work. Like, like. I'm a grown-ass man. It is what it is. You're not going to give me a Disney speech necessarily. However, if in the moment, make me believe it. Look at me in the eyes and and you start... I know who you are and where you've been. And you're telling me 10 and a half or... or, or, Sorry, 10 or 7 and a half. And I'm like, oh, shit. And we have that combo that took place. I believe. I'm buying. I'm buying what you're selling me. And belief goes a fucking long way. Um, You know, it's not going to move mountains, but it's going to... It'll make the other little percent difference where I wouldn't have made it quite that far. Yeah, it's a minimum requirement, right? Like, right. like you, can, you right. can't go out there believing that you're not going to get it. And so, if your lift is lacking that belief, you're going to have to find a way to instill it, right? 
And I mean, that's the thing. Like, we're we're, we're focused a lot on on the game day strategy today because that's that's the bit that I think a lot of people um, are weak on. Um, but there's this whole interpersonal: can you get the best out of your lifter on the day? I um, mean, sometimes that job split, right? And and, and that could work really well as well. Um, so you got you got you know you got the the, the high person, the person with the relationship, the person who's um look, looking at that mindset and those sorts of things. Um, and you got the person who's checking the numbers, might be running strategy, but it's certain. Um, I'm certainly acting as a backstop to like serious mistakes. Um, but there's also just the logistics of the day. And I think people underrate setting up your athlete to have a good day can start really early in the morning. For, for me, it starts with like, how did this person get to wait? Um, and so I'm, I'm having a conversation after they land in the country. So since we're coming from New Zealand, right, we're going to have, we spend a lot of time in the air um, and that messes with your water retention. Right. And so typically try and get people there you know at least five days preferably seven before they're going to compete if we're going um if, if we're going if we're going into europe um we've got a big time zone adjustment we've had 24 hours in the air we're going to be bloated as so you know helping people fix that getting them down to weight um making sure that they're weighing themselves morning and night making sure they've got a calibrated scale in their hotel um you know there's all kinds of mistakes that happen from that making sure that their equipment arrives in the country that they're in, right? Do you know how many people lost equipment coming into Belarus in 2017? It was ridiculous. So, like, there's just, like, simple lessons, right? Always take your competition equipment as carry-on on the plane. Never never fly it into um, into a place where you're competing because there's a non-zero chance it won't show up, and it didn't show up for, like, a dozen people in Belarus, right? Like, it was a serious problem. Jason, Mike, um, the American, and my man is, he's thick. Two, two three Cs thick. My man is a big boy. And um, he's like, dude, my, all my shit's gone. And it's not like an 83 kilo guy or whatever the shit that, like, there's a lot of other people. This guy's a big ass dude, man. Like, you're not going to get a single in his size. You're not going to. He's like, <laughs> I went out. He's like, I fucking almost had to buy dress shoes. And, and like, I don't know where I'm shopping. They don't have Foot Locker in Belarus. Mix Belarus, man. He's like, I don't, you're trying to. And the worst thing is try to problem solve with like two, three days. Get around town when nobody speaks English. You're not working with the same currency. And problem solved now. Oh, and by the way, you're also cutting weight or whatever the hell. Like, it's stress. And cortisol levels are mm. high. You're retaining water because the cortisol levels are high. And you're water loading while trying to do all this. And you're like, fucking not now. Yeah, you have not a bad time. You, yeah. you, know, you know how irritable you get when you're water loading and you're about, like, even if I'm not cutting any weight. Two, three days before a competition, I'm a little bit, I'm not myself. I'm not, I'm not my best self. Don't come around expecting a bunch of jokes and we're going to have some happy, happy fun time. <laughs> Let alone if I'm water loading, it's a tough cut and, um, you know, it's a little stressful and now all my baggage is gone and I got to do some major problem solving. That's some shit's going to hit the fan. And yeah, it happens yeah. a lot. It happens. That's life, man. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so get, the, get the logistics right. Make sure your athlete has their stuff. Make sure they're on weight. The night before, are they at the weight that they thought they would be the night before? Because yeah. if they're not, you might have to start doing some crazy shit, right? And so, yeah. you know, like, do I need to make sure that I'm bringing the scissors to cut the person's hair the next day when they don't make weight, right? Like, because we're going to do anything it takes to get the weight right. But, like, the way I think about it is that, like, it's actually about who can recomp the best, right? Because there's not really an excuse for not for not making weight. Um, I mean, if it's above a 10% cut, then, yeah, it's, like, it's life-threatening and you probably shouldn't do it. Um, and I don't think you should be planning a water cut that's over like five percent of the very high end, but like three percent should be like for the um, for the majority of people. But like I can cut you six, seven percent, you know, um, and it's and it's going to be horrible and it's going to suck and it's going to affect your performance. But I'll get you to wait, and then we can decide what we're going to do because you flew all the way here. Um, so get the athlete to wait, 
um, had they had they got everything they need to get back up to weight, right? Like you've got you've got to be hassling them to get that recomp right and get it going. You've got to be tracking them to make sure that that's happening right, um, and then making sure like do you have access to the platform that they're going to be and that they're going to be warming up on. Who are you going to be warming up with, right? So when you're running earlier in Worlds during juniors, right, we've got both platforms going, right? And so we might have A and B flights on two, on two platforms, right? So we're starting, we're talking about 48 lifters now, right? Like it's a lot of lifters. Um, and so we might have three, four people per platform. Who are you going to choose to do that with, right? And how are you going to control that environment? And part of why I like working with Team Canada, um, if, if our athletes like aren't going to be like head to head the whole time, then I'm, then I'm usually going to try and get a spot um, with um, with Canada because I know that we're going to run a really efficient warm up platform um, and people just underrate the stuff. If we can just look at um, Canada nationals this year, right? Like everyone was complaining about how fast things were moving, right? And it's like as a coach, you can solve that for your athletes, right? You've got, you've got to stay in control. You're on the stopwatch. You're cutting their warm ups down so it's less. You're planning with them so that they're only taking four warm ups and they're not taking eight and you're, and you're having the chance that you need to. And you're getting them to adjust their training even so that they're prepared for those sorts of things. Because you know who the person who wasn't rattled was? It was Jess the Bittner, right? And like some person who's been to Worlds, yeah. you know, and she's there. And she's breaking the world total record by 13 kilos on like a day where the, like, the backroom circumstances were terrible. Yeah. And it's like, no, this, you can stay in control of those environments. And that's, that's part of coaching too, right? So. Um, so you gotta, you, you gotta get all that stuff right. You gotta get the logistics right. And you know, that could be your assistant coach jobs, but that can be your job as well. Right. And so get that stuff right. This is like no excuses for not having that right. Um, the interpersonal stuff's hard, right? It's really hard. Um, and you're going to be better at working with different athletes, um, at that because not every athlete needs the same thing. And so maybe that's where you do need to make sure that you've got the right, right hand or environment, or you're at least talking about like, what do they need to be feeling? On the day, do they need to be actually socializing and talking and not sitting there like a stress box between um, between lifts? Um, I know that if I don't create a social environment myself, I just become like an angry, growly dude in the corner. And it's like, I'm not having a fun day. I'm not going to lift my best. And so, but if I can be sitting with people, shooting the shit a bit, and then three lifters out, you know, I hit fun go on and, and get ready. So, like, find out all that stuff that the person needs in order to have a good day. Um, and then on top of that, you know, then we go out and play the, the fun um, game day strategy stuff, right? It is. I think the mistake would be if you just try to treat everybody like, like you, the same. Basically, paint them all the same yeah. brush. Don't you don't you can't get in the face of everybody trying to rile them up because that'll freak somebody out. Somebody who's a little bit introverted is going to make holy shit. Sorry, like you're a six foot four, you know, or a Bill McCarthy, and somebody's like, hey, take, <laughs> take it easy, my man. And it, it actually makes them go deeper into the shell and makes them more rattled as opposed to a soft, yeah. quiet. What do you think of right now? How many more you got in you? Because the last I saw, you're killing it right now. I think, are you seeing, yeah. paying attention? These guys are suffering right now. Yeah, and you start talking to them like that, maybe. It's different approaches. It's funny you talked about as well. In terms of the cutting of the weight, oh yeah, you got to get involved sometimes because lifters can really like, the biggest thing for them can be, I got to make weight. And you're right. In terms of, we are going, if it's international, we are going to get you on weight. If it's local, you didn't make weight. It is what it is. Yeah. You fly out the world. You don't make weight. You don't lift. And that's not, that's yeah, that doesn't only look bad reflecting on the lifter, but as a national coach, you're like, we just lost how many team points? We just lost. That that's not professional. Anybody's mm -hmm. nobody wants that. You know what I mean? So it doesn't look good. So yeah, in terms of 
Where's your body weight at? And historically speaking, I know when I was on the Canadian national team, Abby Silverberg would have Skype meetings with every single lifter and be like, give me your numbers. Give me your historical numbers. How do you like to warm up? How much weight are you cutting? We sit down face to face like this and he, he wants to get a vibe of it and be like, how do you like to be motivated? What's it going to be like on game day? Do you want me to give you some speeches or is that going to work against you? Whatever the shit. How much weight are you cutting night before? Mm. He's checking in. Where's your body weight at? Historically speaking, where's your body weight at? Good. What's your refeeds? You got your refeeds? What you got? And then like, nah, but what do you got? Don't give me a yes. Mm. Give me what you got. So then, you know what I mean? And then um, yeah. on day of, how many times I've, se- I've seen it and I felt it when I first started, but later on I adjusted you're nervous. And I've been with other people where they're not eating a lot. And I'm like, dog, how many calories have you eaten today? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, I, I'm counting like 200. Okay, nobody does a max. No one maxes that right. with, with a few hundred calories in their system. And it's you almost want to tell them like, um, you know, you're not eating for, for comfort. I get it. You're not hungry. You're eating for performance. Though. This is gas in the tank. I need you to be mm-hmm. at least this many calories by the time we start lifting. And there's... Because that, that could be like the undoing of a great prep. You make weight. Everything's completely on point. And then when you fumble the ball, you're like, I don't know. It just wasn't there today. It's like, well, shit, man. When I need you to push on the gas, put the foot on the gas, it yeah. wasn't there. And that's some big things right there, too. So, yeah, there's there's so much. And honestly, in terms of procedurally, to alleviate stress, um, I've read books. Like, I'm big on the sports psychology thing, too. Um, you could really dive deep, my friend. But um, I mean, hypnotizing yourself the whole time. I'm, athletes, all different. Mike Tyson used to get hypnotized going in there um, and sometimes work against them, obviously. But so when, when you're when you're staying busy and focusing on what's your next part, you're not anxious about what's laying ahead in the future. Mm-hmm. The old saying, you live in the past, you're depressed. You live in the future, you're anxious. You live in the moment, you're at peace. So when you land, yeah. you have jobs to do when you land. Do you have your Gatorade? Do you have your distilled water? Do you have your refeeds? Do you have whatever? Let's do that. Are you on body weight? Now we're making body weight. Lifting's tomorrow. Let's make body yeah. weight today. That's our goal. Just what's next. You got body weight. Okay, the day of, and you got four hours before we lift, we're going to weigh in, and we're going to refeed, and we're going to warm. Just be present with me right now. We got jobs to do before we get there. If we stay on task and stay on the moment, it's a lot easier when that shit rolls around. But if you've lived that lifting a million times in your head already, you're going to be like mentally and emotionally exhausted. I've done both. I've like done my mm. best to stay present and you're most at peace. And I've done way over analyzing. And by the time I squatted, I was so emotionally exhausted because I have done, I have done it so many times. It's tough, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can like Brett knows, Brett knows this about himself, right? Like when he is having fun, he is lifting better. And so like, it, need, it needs to be a fun environment, right? Like that, that's, that's when he's going to be like at, at his best. If, if he's, if he's super focused the whole week, just like this thing's coming up, I'm going to crush it. But that's not actually him at his best. Him at his best is like, he's, he's relaxed. He's just, he's just, he's just kicking. He's just, ha- he's just having a great time. Right. And, and that's whether he comes first or second, right? Like he's, he's, he's having fun. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I like, I like to, I like to know what the athlete needs and then, and then you got to, you got to try and give it to them, right? So the worst, that's the, worst, the worst case, if you don't know ahead of time and somebody rocks in there like fucking Screamer Manuel and you're like, holy shit, is this guy having a nervous breakdown or is this normal? Because he would, I remember commentating in Belarus 2017 and um, I would be looking at the scorecard like, man, who's up next? And I would hear like, 
Like, holy shit. And Screamer is on the sidelines. <laughs> looking like he's about to get a bar fight. Like, holy damn, man. This dude's coming in with some intensity. Um, wildly entertaining. Let's talk about Belarus for a second. Because we've gone there a couple mm. times already. At the time, how knee deep were you? Because you said you're relatively new to the international coaching game anyways. And I remember yeah. Rory was also... Uh, your counterpart in there was, he said he was also relatively new to it. And he was just to get his reps yeah. in, was like, do we have yeah. a, a New Zealander in this flight? If not, can I hop in for another nation? Just let me get my fucking feet wet. I need my reps in. Yeah. So so we didn't, unfortunately, didn't have um, didn't have Rory backstage um, with, with Brett. Um, so Brett was um, with me and Mike T. Um, and, um, and, and Brett, and Brett out back. And, um, Sure, Mike T won't mind me. I might, I might be talking about this stuff because um, because he and I and Brett all had a bad day and made some um, <laughs> made some critical errors. And really, and, and really, really, we just made we just made the one mistake. So, um, I mean, Brett lost his third squat, but um, but only on deck. Um, so it was um, so it was marginal, and you know, um, not much to you can't do much about there, but we're still in a in, in a strong position, right? And so coming out of bench and Coming on bench and um, and squats, we had we had there was thirty kilos that Ulan needed to top us with in order to get um, in order to get position. But to be honest, we weren't even thinking about that, and that and that's and, that, and that's the biggest mistake, right? Is like not even really looking at um, at, at who number two is, really just looking at what do we think Brett has today, and how can we make sure that he has um, he has a good day? Are these warm ups looking as good as they can? Like, is everything moving fast? We are we, um, but we um, and so we put out. I think it's two ninety five to start, um, and two ninety five was a smoke show, right? If you if you go, if you go and watch that lift, um, and I and I don't mean that like as a as a compliment to Brett on the day. Sometimes, if the weight is not light enough, it doesn't give you enough information to make the right decision for the next call, right? Like if if someone if someone goes down and takes eighty five percent. Does it tell you what 100 percent is that day? It, it really doesn't, right? You don't really get that feeling yeah. um, until, until a little later. And um, he was moving really fast. It had a fantastic block of, um, in terms of a fantastic deadlift training block. He'd recently set a new PL, which was a 321.5 at the at an Invitational recently, um, which was also um, which was also under Mike T. Um, and Mike T had his planned third, right? So again, we're thinking too far ahead, right? And so we're seeing. Whereas the today, like maybe three thirty, right? Like three thirty, that that would be an awesome way to finish the day. What sets us up to try that? And if it's not going to be this, we we'll, we'll bring it down like three twenty two, three twenty five, something like that, right? Um, and so the rational jump, you know, the take the six percent jump, um, was up to um, was up to three seventeen, which was just way too much, right? Like even though in percentage terms it's kind of what you'd you'd expect, it was. Um, it's twenty two and a half kilos, and twenty two and a half kilos <laughs> is that um it's, it's a lot of weight. And so two ninety five to three seventeen, thinking we didn't even have to worry about the competition until after we'd done that lift, was the biggest mistake. Um, Mike Tears didn't ever made in terms of like it was his decision it was the card that he put down, but Brett and I didn't say shit right, and that and that was my biggest lesson, which was um you know I mean you know Mike T said three seventeen to Brett, and Brett said yep, and I went um. Yes, because Mike T is 
you know, at, at this stage, this friend of mine now, but at that stage, this guy is like my hero, right? Like I consider him one of the like smartest people in the sport and Brett's the most, the best powerlifting athlete that New Zealand's ever produced. And they're both like, yep, three seventeens up. <laughs> yes, and so, like, yep. <laughs> and it's, 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 but it's not like I've run the numbers and I'm going, actually, we should be more defensive here. Like I wasn't doing that. I was too busy going, fuck, these guys know what they're doing. I'm going to give um, Brett a massage, give him the fuck he needs, go get him, go get him his water. Yeah. Um, and because like I looked up to those guys so much, and I still look up to them massively. But the um, the lesson is is that like it doesn't matter who you are, you can make these game day mistakes, right? And like you know, Mike T's competed all over the world, the highest in competitions, coached endless world champions, right? And it was just a bad call, which is it was just the wrong call, right? The real the real call, if you if you're doing an assessment, is to go what's the most that Ulan can pull. And if you do what I do now, you'd look at his previous meets, right? And go, actually, last year, he took 330 on his second. Now, he's only going to need 325 to catch us today, right? So if we only make this 295 and we miss our second and third, he needs five kilos less in the second he took in pulling. That's a risky position to be in, right? And so if you're not looking at that and you haven't looked at his previous numbers, and so he missed his third deadlift in pulling, right? But he took 337 for a ride there. Um, and so unless you're looking, unless you know what this guy's really capable of doing, you'd conservatively say, hey, we've got to make sure that, you know, let's make sure that he's taking 340 on his third, just to, just to really be safe, right? Like in the past, he's been confident in 337. He's never made anything above 330. Um, so like, so if we put an extra 10 kilos on his all-time PR, that should be um, that should be a safe bet. So let, let, let's try for 340. Which would have been a um, which would have been a three ten on the second, right? To so take the fifteen kilo jump. Now, when you do that, you, you can't really go and take the three thirty that you think you're good at, which is why you're sort of distracted by it. But you can take three thirty any fucking day of the year, right? You can if you're Brett, you know, you can go and do that at the Arnold, you can go and do that at the Invitational. Um, there are other meets to go for that um, um, for that number, right? And it's um and it's awesome. Go to Worlds and you know, like we we got to do um, squat, bench, and total in Calgary, and that was really awesome getting those records. But really, the only thing Brett gave a shit about was, was winning. He didn't care about any of those records. And then once we'd won, which was after our second, so we knew we'd have position. Then it was like, actually, I want to be the heaviest person um, to ever go ten times body weight. And so that was why we chose the three seventeen. Um, 0.5 and um in, in Canada to, to get to get that nice like um, little touch at the end, but it was never the focus. The focus was we are just playing to win, and when we we're in Belarus, we weren't really playing to win. Not in the way that not in the way that you need to, you know. Um, and um and you know I don't I don't I don't think it was Brett being cocky. I don't think it was Mike being cocky. I think it was people just not not doing the work that you actually need to be to be a world champion in terms of understanding your competition, what they're capable of, um, and, and, and what they can do. Um, and so missed 317 on his second attempt and on his third attempt, right at the top, on grip, twice in a row. I went back and watched it yesterday again, and, like, my palms were sweating the whole time. Like, I just, like, I just, I just can't believe it. And um, and then, and then my, my, my favorite bit is that Owen Hubbard's um, comment, um, commentating. Uh, and, and, and he's listening and Brett's about to go for a second. And he's like, look, I think Mike T knows what he's doing, guys. Oh, <laughs> everybody's just thinking the same thing. And, and like, you know, I, I, I absolutely did. And, um, and no, I think, mo I think most days of the year that number is, is right, you know, um, but, um, but, but it wasn't, and we weren't being defensive as, as we needed to be. And you got to get that locked up after second, you know, like, um, second's got to be safe enough 
to always secure your positions against you against you missing that third right. You don't want to go into third deadlifts, um, where if you're going where if you're going to miss, it's all it's all, it's all over, right? And it was for us. It's just a yeah, pretty big mistake. <laughs> haven't um have, haven't made um haven't made uh, I hadn't made a mistake as big as that up for then. I haven't um, haven't made one since, but it doesn't mean it won't happen again. So what's it what's it like like. I'm sure that was probably one of the biggest learning moments. After that, it's like we got to do better. We got to do better, man. We're, mm. we're like, I know. Here's the thing, man. It's I know it's cliche to say, but it's true. Only after you take a loss, and if you take a loss at a big, you know, when everyone's watching, if it was a local competition, it's easy to fluff off. When it's the world championships, the most iconic powerlifter your nation's got in a win that most people thought, well, it's kind of his to lose, and then you lost it. You're like, that can't happen again. You know, that's where you're going to grow, though. Like, it really is. You will never analyze something as much as you'll analyze that. Double back and be like, what was the appropriate number we should have done? And um, was that probably for you the turning point where you're like, we're coming back for for Calgary and we have to – it's not – we're not going to be the same coaching staff. When they look across and they see us, we're not the same – because America's coming. You know, Kamesi's coming. Messi Kamesi's coming. And he's telling himself, if you guys are running the same fucking show you did in Belarus, I'm going to eat my food. You know what I mean? You're probably thinking it's not going to be the same show, though. And how much is it? You know, it's it's funny how you could actually think to an extent there's the lifters where you're like, okay, who is in the lineup in terms of the lifters? To another extent, it is the handlers. We're like, who who am I showing down with, though? And if it was... you know, it, but, it's the sport. It's the sport, right? The sport is in the is in the is, is in the selection, right? Who am I, who's going to be choosing this person for teams, right? And and how and how are they going to be thinking about it? And what are they going to be doing? Um, and so, yeah. But I mean, we had Brett was in also the best condition, like of, of his life ever when we went into Cal- when we went into Calgary, right? And so, um, if we we knew that. I mean, the first goal was we've got to go six for six, right? We're not missing this third squat, and we're going through for three hundred. Like that's. That, that that's all there was to it, um, and we knew that if we could do that, that it was going to be done. That it was that it was ours to lose actually on on on, on squats, right? Um, but even then, even like I remember Rory telling me some like because he was um in Calgary, it was quite um quite difficult from a coach's perspective because the spot that you watched the lifter from, like up on the stage, really long way from the um from the place where you have to hand in the cards, right? And so if you want to have a chat with someone and get around there and write something on a card and hand it in. Can't really do it, and so we would normally have multiple scenarios um, written down on how we're going to think about attempts. Um, and Rory would stand over by the desk, and I'd be up on the platform. I'd quick type to Brett, and I'd um, you know yell, yell the call essentially across the platform. I'm down, down to Rory to um, um, to, um, to hand it in, and so you know got to got to plan for all of those things. And yeah, on on the day we got those um we we, we got six for six, and um and 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 then we knew that we were you know. We were, we're in a position to um to win, but but Rory was 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 saying to me, what if what if or he is actually capable of a really big pull here? And that's the thing, right? It's like like or he opened lower on deadlifts than we were expecting, and and they and they very accurately guessed what he had that day, and um and his and his third pull was um was was pretty limited, and it was just it was less than we had predicted, but we had a you know we were taking into account the fact that they might be lying, there might be some big jumps in there, yeah. um because like I've, I've seen or he try like. 340 in the gym earlier that year you know and like and like he'll he'll he'll, tr- he'll try stuff and um and, and miss and whatnot I'm like yeah but he's trying it 
You know, and like, <laughs> like is, 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 he, is he going to come out and try and pull 335? Because if he is, like, I'm happy for us to, like, not get the 10 times body weight and take some conservative-ass thing just to make sure he has to pull 350 or something stupid, right? Like, yeah. we were being so careful um, about all of our all of our decisions there. Um, and especially since, you know, that, um, as I said before, that they had Eric Bodhorn out back as well. It was a mad large posse. And I didn't know Avi talked about, like, when are you going to get people kicked out of the back room? That was the day. That was the day. I don't, I don't, I don't do it very often. Um, but Rory and I made sure that the, um, that the U S team was getting pulled back down to, um, down to three coaches, right? Because there was a, there was a team back there, right? Like it was Matt and Susie and Bodhorn and Joey and Noriega. And I was like, this is, this is, <laughs> this is too real. Like I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't see the score sheet. It's too hard. You know, go, yeah. go, and, go and have a winch to security, Canadian security, very nice. You know, when and um, when I made sure that we didn't, um, didn't, didn't have that many people out back. But, um, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll stoop to those sorts of um, things at, um, at world at the right time, right? Don't, don't need to do it all the time. But um, well, you know, I'm happy to get someone kicked down the back. Abby was saying, he does it strategically. He'll do rules like that. Like, for instance, you're going up for a really big lift and you need your hype man and they're getting you all riled up. And it's then that you're going to say, oh, the fella, there's too many fellas back there. You got to go in there and break up the party. And that will disrupt. Like he's done that before as well. Or he was talking about a lifter had some kind of a brace. Wasn't mm. quite a belt, but under the singlet, yeah. it's some kind of a brace because probably somewhat of an injury. Wasn't a belt, mm. but it sure as shit wasn't the singlet neither. Sure as shit wasn't a gear through, check. Sure as shit didn't go through the equipment check. He's like, no. well, we'll put a pin in that. We'll revisit that in a, in a second. So his assistant's like, let's go tell. Um, you know, the, the judges and be like, no, 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 hang on a second. Yeah, yeah. We're going to wait for the third <laughs> attempts and when we need it, when she needs her third squat, now you go. Now you go. Mm-hmm. Let's see how quickly she could take that off, how quickly she could get a singlet back on, how quickly she could go up there, 60 seconds, and hit her final squat. Well, she missed it. I'm sorry, yeah. but that's the way the game's played. Like, I gotta, we gotta get our people to the finish line, right? Um, that's- quick question here. After Belarus, when you go into Calgary and you know what, what went down, was there a conversation with Brett at all in terms of like, my friend, I know Bella, what happened to Belarus. Was there like an accountability talk where it's like, yeah. you're not the same lifter, I'm not the same coach. Like, did, or did he see the progress over the year? Because you were, you guys were another whole other monster the next year. Yeah, well, I, th- I think I really like earned it at Calgary. So what, what I basically said to Brett was, yo, if you don't, if you want someone else, like I assume you don't want my, my kid to coach you. Um, if you don't want me as well, like that's, that's fine, but I've got my hand up to help you. And really the one is I just want to like, I want to put you kind of a bit more in the driver's seat. Like he'd had some really good coaches that hadn't been performing for the last like three years. Right. So, um, and, and he said, not nah, just, just me and you. And I said, well, I'm going to worry there just to you know, check my numbers. Um, and it's like, that's fine, right? And it was basically just like Brick was, you know, potentially going to be calling more of his shots, and I just and I just and I just make sure I, that he had the information that he needed so that we were doing not competitively done things, right? So it's not like he's going to be coming out and saying this what's next, um, but it, it's going to be more of a chat, and I'm going to try and put him a bit more in control. Um, and then we got him the information that he needed, and we all had, you know, we had really good consensus on what the attempt should be that day, and we're just hitting them all, um, and then come back to the rest is history, right? So 
he um yeah he needed to take a bit more ownership at that time um and i was really happy for for him, for him to have it um and so we just we just worked together really tightly and so it wasn't that i'm the coach you do what i say type yeah. type environment at all right it was like let's like let me help you have the best day of your life and i, I mean i still done it like the competitive research that i did was was, was massive was more than i'd ever done for um for, um, for anything before um like i just like i am um, I, I don't watch a lot of youtube stuff but when i'm going into a meet and if, if you put out a lot of youtube here fuck, i'm gonna watch all of that and it doesn't mean i'm gonna enjoy it but, but i'm gonna watch it all of it and i'm and, I'm not saying I'm not hitting the like button, yeah. but I'm watching. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and so I, I'm going to find out. Like, you, you're going to tell me what your goals are, and I'm going to see. One of the things that I really like finding is I like finding footage of people missing, where they all should have shown me their warm ups. Now that might happen at a meet, um, and it might happen in the gym as well. And so I always go and I and I go. This is what it looks like when someone misses three twenty, and here's the three hundred five before that he took. So when, now when I see you do 305 and you put in 320, I have a really good gauge as to whether that's, mm. that's realistic for you or not, right? And so like I'm, I, I build a really big index, not just of the not just of their stats, right? So lots of numbers they've, they've been doing in the past, what's their hit rate, what's their sort of percentage spread looking like in their attempts, but also show me the last three months videos, your top attempts for all of your lists, just so that when I'm watching those, I have this really good feel for what you're actually capable of. Like, yeah. Seen you missed before? What's that? Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Like you see when they miss, when they hit, what they move like ordinarily. So you actually know the velocity of what they move. So when they're on the platform or in the warm-up room, you're like, hey, shit, I've seen them handle this weight like half a dozen times. And you have a really yeah. good barometer. That's a lot of work. That's right. That's a lot of work. But with that kind of work comes the confidence, right? That's, yeah, I mean, I... I... I only really do that for Brett, and I did the shit out of it for Sheffield, which is really um, like a pity that we're, <laughs> we're we're not there because I yeah was putting putting in the um uh, putting in the hours um helping us have you know like I'll do an hour's work to increase the percentage chance of us succeeding by by half a percent right like it's not um the I really really care about every little advantage that we can get. Quick question: What if it's mm. somebody who's like? percentage chance winning is 30%. So you got to do 140 hours work. Like what you're not doing that. Like it's kind of like work. somebody's like, you got to tell someone, my friend, um, you're ranked 35th. Okay. I'm not crunching 14 hours worth of, yeah. <laughs> you know? this is, this is, this is, this is Brett stands to make like um, $40,000 if we get everything right. Right. Um, and so like, and there's only so much work you can do as well. Right. Like, like I might put like 40 hours or something like that. Um, in, in total, into um, into preparation for something like that's like that's Sheffield, which is that's a fucking full time job for a week though. Forty hours. It is only yeah. only. Okay, let me tell you something. There are people who handle and don't do a fucking. They don't even know like the top PRs of their, of their lifters. Forty hours of research. You know what I mean? Like I thought. I think some people would be really shocked to hear that. It's. I mean, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not just research. It's like prepping. Like at the time, we didn't have the tools to do IPF point competition, right? So if you want to do real time IPF points, um, what are the systems that you're going to want in place? How are you going to be updating those in real time? How are you going to be managing that? Technically, only one person out back in Sheffield, you know. So like, how um, how are we going to be um, making decisions as fast as you need to be able to make them? Um, and then yeah, it's just like let's go and watch a lot of footage. Which, well, I mean, that includes the time that I'm. Because um, I'm not I'm not Brett's coach, right? So Justin Reeson has been programming for Brett, and so 
chats that I'm having with Justin, chats that I'm having with Brett, I'm watching, watching and reviewing Brett's, Brett's training and thinking about that, going back to like histor- historical events um, for, um, for the lifters that we're, that we're competing against. Because some people I don't like, like I know, I know Russell, um, Russell's lifting quite well, right? But I don't know like Atwood's that well and I don't know um, Charles's that well. And so I'm going to need to, you know, put, put the time in um, to, um, to understand them and how they're making decisions and what sort of position they're in. It's a, do you feel, and we'll continue on the timeline because I want to talk about like Sweden and all the rest of it as well, but do you feel like, look, walking into there and there is like 40K US on the line and yeah, man, it's going to be the case where, I mean, some people are just going to fucking vibe it and show up and kind of see what happens, but real professional game day coaches who take pride in their work, like yourself, like Abby Silverberg, like, like Rory, like all, all the fellas I've had on the podcast. They're going to do 40 hours. They're going to watch game day footage. They're going to crunch all the stats. They're going to know the percentages that you missed your third dead when you missed your third squat. They're going to know how many times you missed your third dead when you've gone already eight for eight. They're going to know all your training numbers. They're going to know everything. That's a good chunk of time. And we already know when it comes to, if you're looking at Brett versus Orhi, they, they are so neck and neck, they're literally one and one. And they're literally like, whoever has a good day, bad day, by like, we're talking kilos could take this. If there's 40K on the table, and you're, and maybe this conversation, maybe it's not right now. Okay, maybe uh, I'm not asking what was the setup for this Sheffield. But do you think in two, three, four, five years time, the more lifters actually understand, all lifters understand, game day coaching is not programming coaching. I don't give a shit how good you are at programming how many hours, what have you done in terms of your game day prep and all the rest of it? All of that. When, when everybody's caught up and the field is caught up and it's not just you and half a dozen sharks, it's a shitload of sharks out there and you're going into Sheffield and the lifter's going to turn around and say it's possible 40K. Um, I'm choosing you, Angus. But you got to come prepped. So I need you to do 40 hours worth of work for me. And then you're going to make all these game day decisions and if you pull a Belarus... Everybody's coming at you. If you pull, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It'll be a conversation where at what yeah. point do you start having this conversation good, but it's going to be X amount for me to do it and then X amount if we get the check. Because I think personally, for me, eventually we got to be there. If not now, five, ten years, yeah. but we got to be eventually. Yeah, I'm sure that will happen for people eventually. Um, it's not, um, I mean, I've, this isn't my career. Right, like I like I really love um, the other, um, the other work that I do, and so I'm there for love. Right, like can you think about how Sheff- how good Sheffield is? Right, do I want to go and hang out with the 24 best lifters in the world? Oh, right, do I want to go and hang out with the 24 best coaches in the world who are, um, who are there with them um, for a week in England, all expenses paid? Yes, I do, and like that's like it's a, it's a real easy um, easy choice, and and being there is priceless, you know, and so like. Um, Absolutely, I'm sure there'll be money. I'm, I'm like spread around in, um, in, in the futures for um, for some of that um, that extra work, or it might just be something that's included with like a larger um, package for the year, right? Like once someone's once we're looking at annual planning for lifters, you know, and you're going to have your um, game day coach with you at you know all three of your your events that year. Um, I, th- I think things will come a bit more formalized like that. It's not something that um, that I me um but it's 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 absolutely going to be an evolving industry and there'll be you know we've got professional programmers and it'll extend to um professional game day coaching as well um, sure. and i mean there's 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 already a few people are doing that it's just 
there hasn't been money involved, and so I'm not sure when when those are going to be included. But you know, SBD were were flying over um, and catering to a coach per athlete, as in, like incredible generosity and and recognition of the value that coaches are bringing to the game day as well, right? Like they don't want there to be barriers to their being the best coaches there on the day because um, they know that it matters for the quality of competition that they're going to be having. And so that's like we haven't seen that before. Um, and so that was really that was really the exciting thing was that no this competition is valuing um, coaches as well. Um, and so uh, it was going to be great. Like I'm really gutted it, um, it did happen this year. Um, and yeah, looking forward to seeing how, how next year's one shapes up and, you know, whether Brett goes or not, I think it's an amazing thing for the sport to have. I hope. Yeah. I mean, first off, I, I was, I was going to be the commentator for that thing. So I was mad gutted myself. I had very, I had quite a few conversations with Peter Spence from SBD um, mm. about the Sheffield and he won't, man. Peter Spence, you want to talk about powerlifting nerds? You think we're powerlifting nerds? Like he's he's right in there with us. Um, we're gonna we, we nerd it up on like we will hit each other up talking about powerlifting. Like seriously, daily, man. We have those chat groups, and he won. In terms of getting it, in terms of game day coaching, he one hundred percent gets it. He talks like we talk mm. in terms of you know the biggest hits, the biggest blunders, and the best coaches in the game. When you see those, sometimes they have on ESPN. You know, top 10 players, top 10 quarterbacks, the left top 10 coaches. And they'll talk, and we're not talking programming coaches, though, but when we talk powerlifting, there are top 10 programming coaches. There are top 10 game day coaches. Tell me, you know, as long as your programming coach, he's putting all these hours in terms of coaching, can he even put 40 hours into your game day coaching? It might get to a point where it's like, look at man, we gotta, we might need you like an athlete. At some point, when he walks into a Sheffield, if there's enough money, um, you might need a game day coach. Oh, we got a cameo. <laughs> we might need a, no, no worries. We might need a game day coach. We might need a you know a programming coach. We might need these things. Oh damn it! You decked out. You got assistants and everything. See, that's what I need, <laughs> dude. That's that's what I'm talking about, my man. But um, you know, you know what I mean? Where um. It, we're probably going to be at the point, like Taylor Atwood, for instance, when he shows up, and a lot of the 74s are taking shots at Taylor Atwood. And I remember Taylor Atwood and me were talking, and, um, and his coaching staff and whatnot, and people talk about, like, when you see Taylor Atwood backstage, he's got, man, this dude's, whether it's in terms of the strike guys, they have, they divide and conquer, okay? Mm. Nutrition, the RMT, the programming, the handling, who's got what? Because we're not all just trying to vibe this shit. It's going to be everything is on point. So if you want to beat Taylor Atwood, people wonder why. How is he so consistent? This guy never loses. All these big, big-time showdowns. And he just keeps blowing people out over and over and over. Because if you're going to take shots at the king like Taylor Atwood, you better fucking come correct. Don't come with, you know, just your boy and, and whoever, a hype squad. This dude, you got a job when you're back there. Are you holding the clipboard? Does it got stats on it? You know, what's what's going on? Like, it's, you're not back there just to hang out. And this dude, they cover fucking bases, man. Not to give too much of a peek behind the curtain of Taylor Atwood, but there's a reason why he's super consistent. And I hope moving forward at some point, you know, the coaching staffs that are game day coaches get some love. Because eventually, some people are going to start losing that should have won. And some people, some, you know... We'll use the, I'm sorry, I keep using the Belarus situation with Brett, my man. It's just the one we use. You're like, fuck me, I've become a case study. But you you got some good case studies on you too. But um, 
Brett was the, the stronger lifter, the more accomplished lifter, the better lifter. Yes. Sometimes it can happen, you know. And um, you know, I think it'll when Sheffield rolls around. It didn't happen this year, but when it's showdown, one-on-one type showdowns like that, if we see throughout the weight classes years go by, you know, I can't even foresee who knows what showdowns are going to happen in seventy-two, sixty-six. They're just going to happen. And if someone won that should have, you know, that was an underdog or whatnot, people will start replaying. And Peter Spence, like, replaying the, the footage like you did. And Peter Spence was talking about for the SPD showdown. And I don't know what the next year is going to look like, but we were going to do breakdowns. We were going to do analysis. Yeah. We were going to do replays saying, like, game day replays, like football games saying, this is interesting. Take a look at what this happened. We had a chip in play. We had lot numbers in play. Well, there's a body weight advantage. This is interesting that they made this decision. We're going to get into this ourselves right now, but um, we were going to do all of that to help bring the sport up a level because guess what? We don't got 12 people we got to talk about. At the World Championships, every time someone hits the platform, I have to say, name kilos, and then we talk. New guy hits the platform, name kilos, and then we talk. When it comes down to Sheffield, Far smaller in terms of that. So the lead-in, we could have a preview show and talk about things. And during it, you know, I have a lot more time to analyze and whatnot. So, um, man, I was mad bummed that it didn't happen. And we're going to see some strategic battles and whatever. But we'll see what happens. While while we're on Sheffield, I want to talk about the one change they could make that would make it a fairer competition. And And it's a weird one. So I don't know if they could go through with it. But there is this disadvantage to the lighter lifters, right? And so because, like, we're obviously Brett's competing against Russell and Taylor and Charles. Those, those, are, those, are, your, those are your three. That, that's your top four there, right, including, um, um, including Brett. And here's the thing. Atwood and Charles have it way worse than Russell and Brett do because the absolute numbers that they're lifting are lower, which means they lose all of the strategic advantage you get of trying to get position on lifts, right? So I am going to get to see all of Taylor's and um, and Charles's squats before before I have to choose mine, no matter how aggressive they are with their opening. They're not going to be opening as heavy, right? Um, and so the only way you can fix that, and it's, and it's strange, you make for a strange-looking competition, the only way you can fix that is have the bar ascend in IPF points, right? So it's on, so we're we're lifting 100 IPF points and then 102 IPF points, right? And so now it's adjusted. And so now we're moving up and down the weight. And so the spot loaders are having a fucking terrible time. And the audience is like, what the fuck's happening? But that's that. But then, but then it's the sport, right? Yeah. Then, then you get then you get the advantages of the fact that you know Charles has a monster squat, right? But he doesn't have a monster squat in absolute numbers compared to compared to Brett. And so I'm going to get to see everything you do. We're talking yeah. about a 66 kilo lifter who's going to squat 272 kilos, right? Like that should that should behold him some sort of positional advantage, right. but it doesn't. I'm, You're right. I'm going to get to see that the whole time, and he's never going to get to see our cards. And so that's how it's going to play the whole way through. And then that's really going to matter on deadlifts, right? So basically, by time Atwood's finished, um, finished pulling, um, like now we now now we can start going over what did he put up, and then just and then just work it out, and then we and we can choose our number. And it doesn't matter how aggressive he is; it's it's not going to be close enough to it. And so Charles, in particular, he just has to go nine for nine and hope that he's as close to ten RPV on all of his lifts. And it's literally the only strategy that he can that he can deploy. Whereas you know, Brett or Orhi, who will be um who would be pulling last. Um, have all of the strategic tools in their tool set and a default set of advantages in that they're, in that they're in position. Whereas if we had ascending 
bar ascending by IPF points, um, then it would be like a normal competition. But you know, you can have Bill McCartney who say that it's the um, the IPF points is stupid and we shouldn't have competitions based on it anyway. But if we are going to have one, let's um, let's try and make it fair. Dog, I think that's dude, that's genius because it would to a great extent. You'll still have showdowns, seventy twos. Um, 84s, 83s in this one next year. Who the hell knows exactly? We don't know who's going, but you might still have head-to-head showdowns where strategic battles might happen, but it's far, it's far, like, look at man. We, we, I'm just giving the spiel about how important it is to keep the strategy involved in terms of game day. How much more interesting, otherwise, what are we talking about? It's just dudes squatting and girls squatting. And no one wants to, I don't want to watch you work out. I want to watch, I want to watch a game. I want to watch a sport. Yeah. You know, so I think that's a, a genius. We got to reach out. I'll reach out to my boy Beavis Shreds. I'll tell him, listen, I think we might have it. I think we might have it. Um, you know, if, if we all hit him up about it, I've 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 dropped it in in the chats as well. So um, so but if we all keep going after it, I think that would um, that would down. be helpful. Right. We got to win. It'd be a good experiment anyway. Like maybe they don't do it next year. Maybe they do it the year after or something. But that's. That's what's going to make the difference. And and when you get to Brett and um, Brett and Russell competing with where they are in the flight, no, about, about halfway through, um, then it's just the same as a normal showdown, right? Yeah. Because their IPF points and their and their weights would end up being equivalent, assuming they're in with like four and a half in body weight of each other. It's going to be the same. Um, so um, so you you still get the natural looking showdowns. He's he's going for three ten. He's going for three twelve. Like that's all still going to be there. But you get this extra layer of yeah, but like how's it going to how how is Brett going to compete against Charles? And um, Char- Charles is the person I think is like quite underrated because he's been so far ahead of the pack in his last few in his last few meets. Right, I don't think we've really seen his top end in a competition. And he's a smart guy, right? Like this, like he's he's putting a lot of work to Sheffield. I want like was really looking forward to going up against him, but I knew the whole time that we were going to be able to see everything he did. And we're just like he's just it's just a part of the plan by the time we get um, get to the end, right? Like we're gonna we're gonna know what to do and he's and he's not gonna be able to make that choice. He's just gotta go nine for nine, which you know, he's pretty good at. He's it's, not, it's, not a bad friend. It is a shame. I had Charles on the podcast. Dude is he's got phenomenal po- um personality, body that comes from I think he's he's from Africa. I think he's from Nigeria you saying um if I'm remembering this right, and he was like, he's got a great story where he came from, came to the U.S. like complete game changer, no shit. And um, yeah, his work ethic and like he's he's a uh, when he hits the platform too, he's somewhat quiet on social media, but when he hits the platform, he's got that pizzazz, he's got that showmanship. Like, he walks up to that bar and he's got the swag, he's talking shit like ah whatever. Like he's um, I, it's fun. We had Bill McCarthy in Arian Comision, and I was asking like. With all the shit talking you see in the social media with all these showdowns, has it ever gotten weird backstage between people? And they're like, only once did it kind of get a little weird. Because he was going head-to-head. Charles was going head-to-head with Sergey Gladkick. And Gladkick was the two-time back-to-back world champion. And I dubbed him. I love nicknames for my man. That's why I'm six-pack laughing at. But uh, I'm working on yours. But... Uh, Charles, or sorry, Gladkick won back-to-back world championships. Never missed a lift. Never got a fucking red a light. Never got a red light. At the Worlds. We were talking about how hard it is picking attempts when you're getting bullied. And you have world coaching staff that's trying to push you into making certain decisions that you don't want to make. The guy never got a fucking red light. I said he's Mr. Perfect. Okay? Because he's, at this world level, to be pulling that off is phenomenal. In comes Charles. Enter Charles Apoco. Now... To give a little background, 
It was going to be Keith McConaughey who was going to go, and he was actually the number one seed for the U.S. So when Charles went instead, some people are thinking, like, well, shit, I, th- I believe Glatkick had beaten McConaughey in 2016 for the World Championships. He's number one in the U.S. Charles being number two, people are like, this is tough, man. This is your, your son B squad? We didn't know. This is before we knew Charles was Charles. Okay? So we're thinking yeah. this is going to be a possible B squad guy going. This is Mr. Perfect, my friend. You don't defeat Mr. Perfect with B squad. Charles showed up and um, he had like the cocky, you know, swag to him that at the time you didn't even earn yet. You know, he didn't have, he didn't earn it yet. He wasn't world champion yet. But it's like Muhammad Ali said. He's like, I swear to God, I said I was the greatest before I even knew I was. I was a contender. <laughs> I was a contender telling anybody, yeah. newspaper men, my opponents, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm going to knock you to fuck. When he's fighting Sonny Liston, and everyone's like, man, this kid's going to get killed. And Sonny Liston was super intimidating. He's like, you're going down, man. I am the greatest, blah, blah, blah. Get himself all hyped up. And it was the same with in, uh, in Calgary. Charles shows up backstage, and there's Mr. Perfect. Back-to-back perfection at the world championships he's from russia my man is the typical eastern european there's not a smile on his face he finds none of that shit funny he doesn't like the swag and you walk the pep in your step he's not biting it you know he like they, they're insulted when you carry yourself that way for them it's like it's brash it's arrogant they don't like it you know and charles is like warming up and they're he's you know and they're like shooting stairs over and he's shooting stairs over and bill's like it wasn't gonna get physical but he's like the tension was building and building to a point where he's like it was one of the few times he was like holy shit this is like if you're at a bar and some dudes are at another table and they keep looking at your table and you're like are we gonna have a problem we might have a problem before we do i don't gotta tell you man you got you got your take on dope days you've thrown some head kicks in your day so when charles when they were squatting and charles and the americans were making a push charles hits a squat and um the glad kick for the very first time ever, and I've been commentating all the sessions, he missed the squat. Not only did he get a red light, he missed his third squat. And I was like, and it finally happened. Mr. Perfect showed a chink in his armor. And what that was, like, once that happened, and I, as a commentator, you build on storylines to make, you know, the competition more exciting for people. So when you call someone Mr. Perfect, it starts when they finally do show a chick in the armor. Oh, shit. Everything got a whole yeah. lot more exciting, didn't it? And we've already spoken about third squats, right? The wrong left the mess. Duh. Uh, the, the, <laughs> I mean, story untold, unfolds because you're far more likely to miss your third dead and whatever. And yeah, and he yeah. did. And he just started unraveling. And then um, and Apoko took it. And then he became back-to-back world champion in Sweden, and that's why I was so amped up to see him in Sheffield. The dude is for a hundred and forty-five pound man, so six six kilo champion. I'm gonna use some freedom units for for our American friends to be squatting six hundred pounds, two hundred seventy-two around that range or whatever the shit. Absolutely phenomenal. The guy's a phenomenal talent, and um, and yeah. if you talk to him, you know he's got you know he's got personality, and uh, you know he's. He's a good kid. I say kid. When you're my age, you could be in your early 20s and, and you know, but um, you could be in your 30s. But anyways, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bummed that he didn't get it because I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember now, I don't think he's going to Worlds. He was going to take a year off. He made the decision before Sheffield rolled around and then so he missed Nationals and now he's like, oh shit, 
Oh, well, we have a big money event every year. <laughs> I took I want to go. <laughs> now I've, I've fucked myself. But um, maybe he's going to have an opportunity with, nah, I don't know how they're going to work it out. 2020, man. We'll see how it shakes up. But you're 100%. He's a special talent that I'm glad he was in the mix. And uh, yeah. so let's talk about, let's talk about Sweet. Because we start talking about Sweet a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... So Sweden, I, I didn't do a lot of coaching at, um, at Sweden, not as much as I not as much as I normally do. I'm a, I'm a new dad, so I try not to take um, take quite as many breaks. But I wasn't gonna wasn't gonna leave bread hanging, and so I made sure I made it for bread and helped out with a few of the um, few of the other lifters as well. Um, and you know, Brett was not in great shape coming there, mate, and not making excuses for the day because we certainly made mistakes, and we can talk through some of those. But if you told Brett a month out that he could go. 820 kilos for a total, which is still, you know, like the fourth highest total that's ever been achieved by anyone of all, of all time. You know, yeah. the, the other ones sort of have, um, him and all. He, if you told me he could do that, he would have said bullshit. Like, there's no way that we're that I'm going to be in, in, any, in any shape to do that. And so, yes, we didn't win. Yes, we made a couple of mistakes, but he still put up a really great performance for the shape, um, for the shape that he was in. And so we're, we're, we're pretty happy overall. And that's what I mean about when we're talking about Brett. Um, and like, is he happy? And is he having fun? Like, I felt like he was having fun in Sweden, you know, like, like we, like we enjoyed that mate. I'm um, had a good time, but didn't get the result, um, that we wanted. Um, but the mis- mistakes were relatively, um, relatively small. Right. And so one of the things the thinking about for Sheffield is that I think Brett probably just assumed that a referee is going to hit up his elbows, um, on bench now. And so it's like, okay, let's make sure that that's never, um, um, ne- never an issue. And so if, you, if they're going to make you take out, re-rack it, take back out, re-rack it, take back out, you're still going to make those benches. And that, and that just has to be the way of it from now on. Like, one of the things about um, about Gibbs that I love is that he's been doing this for so long, right? So I like on Open Power, I think um, 37 minutes are in there that he's done, right? And so Brett's, Brett's failed lifts for every kind of reason that, that there is, right? Like he had a period where he wasn't hitting depth, right? He had a period where he was missing on grip, Um and I mean, he's like he's missed calls on bench. Like he's made every kind of from rookie to advanced era that you can you can possibly make. He's gone through all of those, right? Whereas there's a whole like everyone else is like I me. Mean, I think, or he's on his, his ninth or tenth meet, in, like in total in his whole career, right? Like it's, it's there's there's all kinds of things that have happened to you over your um over your career, and Brett sort of seen them all, right? And so this is this is just the latest, right? He's never been called for not having locked elbows at the start of his bench and um and, and he got called, called this one so now we've got to now we go and solve for that um but really you know we, we took the most that we could on um on squat i know rory says i thought 290 i didn't think 290 i thought 292 Brett came back to us later Brett came back to us later and so, like after we put the so, so Brett didn't tell us um numbers after his after his second squat um rory and i went and spoke um i was like 292 safe and and Whereas I think 295 is down, I'm like, it's a chance. He's like, it's good, good for the, good for the um, composition position if we take it. Like, okay, let's agree. Let's put him 295. He puts him 295. He's chatting to Brett later. Brett's like, fuck, I thought you'd go like 290. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Right. Um, but the other thing is that Brett, like, he has self-belief exactly when he needs it, right? And so, like, he, he's never going to go out there being like, they should have put in 290, like, like, like I thought they did. What are they doing? He switches straight on to the, yeah, I can fucking squat tonight. I can squat fucking anything, right? And so when it comes to mindset, you know, you want to be like humble in the gym and like actually do eight RPE singles and not nine RPE singles. Um, but on game day, like you want to be 
cocky, right? You don't want to be cocky and affect the decision making. I can't be cocky. The coach can't be cocky. Mm. But the athlete with themselves has to be cocky. They have to believe that they can be cocky. Just put on that, right? And so Brett knows how to do that. He went out and hit that 295 and like absolutely stoked with that. Um, we always knew it was going to be a push just because like Russell just got his squats so right, you know, like so, so right. It's just an amazing, amazing, was it 313, right, on his third? Um, and it was just like at limit, absolute limit. And I was just like, wow, that is, um, that's hard to catch, you know? Like, <laughs> that's hard to catch. You're like, it's going to be a tough day. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't, you, you know, never miss third squats, but also you take that gamble, like that's also where you're going to gain the most ground, particularly when you're going up someone who's benching like, um, like Brett is. And, um, and so, yeah, Brett had a bit of a hard time on, on bench. And so we went out, um, what did we do? We went, um, I think we went 202, um, and then 210, missed the 210 after not getting the, the start command. Um, and then went out and, um, and, and smoked it on the second, um, retook. And I don't think the move was right to um to put up the weight, so we um so we didn't put up the weight there. Um, and then we get to deadlifts, and Bill McCarthy, McCarthy, sorry, that um that ninja. So we always like we do our changes late, but we don't do them so late that we risk the desk getting upset with us, right? And so one thing that can happen is that you can have a whole rush of people changing it um last few seconds. And you can put the card down, they can not see you. And then you're like, oi, make the change. And they can go, oh, we're under three minutes until the next lift. So you can't make the change. Yeah. There's all those things. And so for those reasons, we'll have to put it down like around sort of three, 10 seconds or something like that. And Rory, unfortunately, didn't wait till late enough. And Bill got the, got the drop on him. Yes. Gets, gets me every time, right? Because that, that, that positional difference, it wouldn't have made a difference in the end game today because we know that, um, you know, Britt went on to miss 322. For his um for his, for his second and um and sorry for his um for his third deadlift, but it's still a mistake. It's still a thing that we wanted to have that positional advantage, and it could have opened heavier, and we could have um could have been able to see where um where he was going, but um yeah, still a mistake. And so at the end of the day, just not stronger that year than Russell, um and the mistakes I don't think added up to the difference. Um but um no, we're really happy with um with the eight twenty total. Um, and yeah, just hoping, um, I mean, one thing really, really hope sort of understand some of the reasoning, but I hope that, um, that Russell makes it to, um, Belarus, you know, we don't want, um, I don't want Brett retiring before, um, before these guys get to have, they do. you know, their third showdown. They have best, to best have, oh, they can't, they have oh to have, God. Is, is Brett they talking have about contact. retiring? Why did you say that? Do you know some inside scoop? No, he's just, he's just. He's just been doing this for a long time, man. Yeah. Like Brett's not, Brett's not, Brett's not, Brett's not talking about retiring, but like, ev- like eventually, like he's got a business. He's got his, he's got his spare fishing. He's been, he's gone to ten, like ten worlds. Like he's not, he's not going to keep doing it for forever. And so, um, like I'm hoping that Russell makes it to Belarus. And like Belarus is a is is a, is a tricky one for. Um, have you had talked about on the show about what happened to the US team in Belarus? Um, I'm not sure. I can tell you right now, though. Russell is not going to Belarus. So they that's where Sheffield was supposed to be the one, the big clash. It's the rubber yeah. match. You know, Frazier Ali, where all all those big head-to-head showdowns, when it's one and one, and it's the first year in Calgary, um, Russell, the reason why his deadlift was lower than you had anticipated, he had an injury um, as well. Mm. Nothing big. The dude, Russell is like Brett. These both these dudes yeah. are not gonna make excuses. Shake the dudes in. That's why you probably never heard it, and dudes won't hear shit from Brett either, because they're both. That's not how they carry themselves, right? So, 
Russell had you know his his dead wasn't where it should have been because of his back rematch. Brett's not exactly where he should have been because of his uh, was a quad injury or whatever. So then yeah. rubber match. Who knows? Someone might. No one's ever a hundred percent. But if they're both a hundred, no. oh my gosh! Um, I mean, it's it's such a good rivalry, sporting rivalry. Both guys so close. But um, yeah. it's not going to be Belarus, man. It's going to have to be. I don't know. Twenty one. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like that's why Brett can't go nowhere yet. How old is Brett? Brett's still young. He's like thirty, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's thirty-two or something like that. However, um, however, he's a he's a yeah. well-traveled thirty-two, like you said. Like yeah, he's been doing this. Yeah, for yeah, he's he's, he's, he's been doing this a long time. Um, yeah. So, anyway, like I, I don't think we need to dwell on um, on Brett Hoy for um for for Sweden. We're, we're we're happy with the day that we put together, and or he just put together a stellar performance as well. Mm. You know, like that was just it was just fantastic work there, um, particularly particularly on that squad and um. One one thing I one thing when I was doing some um, some more Sheffield research um, on Ohi, the guy doesn't like everyone doesn't like rate his bench, but like his bench is actually, hey, you know, it's nearly two hundred kilos, eighty three kilo man. It's pretty, he, he, he it's pretty amazing. Yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't miss. The guy doesn't miss benches. His entire career, he's missed one bench, and it was because of a um, a command error, not because of a, a strength miss. Right? No, As the guy's just been creeping his bench up, and you know, I was projecting him like one ninety seven or two hundred. Um, at um at, at Sheffield, the guy just goes three for three like a machine on bench like every single time, yeah. right? So and I always got this great squat, and then if his if his dead if his deadlift comes out like as good, as good as it can be and keep the injuries under control, like just like you know not quite the all rounder that um that Brett is, but but damn close, you know. Um, yeah. So um yeah, it's, it's an underrated yeah, weapon yeah. for for Brett uh, or sorry for uh, Russell because yeah Russell will meddle in the bench presses. He barely misses, and it's it's a reliable weapon. It's not look at yeah. Brett's the greatest. Brett's like the greatest eighty three kilo bencher of all time. So you can't. We're not comparing in terms of that, but in terms of like world level, yeah, it plays. People who think like, nah, if only nah, I mean his bench. Like if you're meddling at the world championships in the individual event of bench press, yeah, he's good. It's reliable. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Don't worry about that. He doesn't have more... his arm. Yeah, doesn't doesn't mess, and um, and, and and that's pretty great. Um, so I want to um, I want to dive into um, Lawrence Mallow if you've let's got there. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. At the end, of the end of it. so first and foremost, this is this is a real hard coaching job to take on, right? And there's like I don't think there's any other coaches in the world privileged enough to be coaching one and two in a single class. You know, well, one, one and one they're both like like right up there, right? So both strong enough to be world champions. Pretty tough job for, um, for Joey coaching out back. And tough job for, um, you know, Ariane was there coaching the session and Bill there was there as um, I was, was there as assistant coach. Um, and, you know, Mario was there um, with, 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 um, with, with Mello as well. And so, you know, t- tough position to sort of manage how you do that. Both coaches want to be working with, um, want to be working with Joey. Or both athletes want to work with Joey. And so um, how do you manage that? But having said that, the way it goes down after second deadlifts is not the way it would go down if they had separate coaches. If there were, if there were people coaching separately, the decisions that happened um, would, would would have been quite different. I think I think it had run like fairly similar to how it would have um, in normal life um, over the um, over, over squat over squat and bench, um, but not not when we get to deadlifts, right? And, and and I'll tell you why. So during the Opening deadlifts and second deadlifts, Danny has control, right? So she is 
um, she has the, I think she has the higher lot number. And so she's always just, um, j- just, just following on, um, on, on, on deadlifts. And so first deadlift, we've got, um, we've got two, um, 231 from, from Lawrence and then 231.5 from Mallow. Second, we've got 245.5 um, from Lawrence, after which she has to go and put in an, an attempt, right? And so she goes and puts in um, 275, I think it was, or two, no, 270. Um, and Mallow goes after her with um, um, 246.5 and um, goes and put in her attempt as well. And she, and she, and she puts in the same attempt. She's the higher lot number. Um, well, no, I don't think she does that. She, Lawrence has the higher lot number, so Mallow's going to have to um, go first. And then when you said it yourself on the live on, on the live stream, you said Lawrence has to blink first, right? And so what you do when you get into that sort of position, so they've got their seven kilos between them, right? So Mallow is winning by about seven kilos, which means at the end of deadlifts, Lawrence has to deadlift exactly seven kilos more than whatever Mallow does, and that or higher guarantees her to win, right? That's the position that she's in. Um, and after seconds, they've both got a placeholder and it's a placeholder that no one in the audience thinks they can get. I don't want to speak to the, the athletes' mindsets or the coaches' mindsets, but it's but it's but it's well above what they took for the second. It would be a strange jump to try and go to um, go to that sort of way. Um, and Mallow Mallow has has the win if they both miss, and so Mallow has no reason to change her attempt until Lawrence does, because all things being equal, if we wait. I'm going to go out and I'm going to miss 270. You're going to come out, you're going to miss 270, and I'm going to walk away the champion. And so that's the default state, right? That's the default state of the game. And you need to bide your time, right? And so the, the, strategic, the strategic play there for if they have two separate coaches is that you wait until the last minute to see if the other person just gets scared and puts something in. Um, but otherwise, you wait, you wait, you're waiting at the table. And you're probably both standing there. You've both got multiple cards. Might be Aaron versus Bill, right? They split the team. These guys are going going head to head or something like that. I'm against each other, and they're just waiting. And what um, what Lawrence um, has to put in because we acknowledge she has to go first, right? Because if she doesn't, they both miss. She loses. Um, so Lawrence has has to put in. She has to put in um, the weight that that basically says. Here's, here's seven kilos greater than what I think you can do, mm-hmm. right? And so she has to figure out what she thinks Mallow can pull. Um, and then there's kind of two ways this goes. She, 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 she puts it in, um, and then Mallow goes, do I believe that you can take that, right? So, do I, so, say, she, so say she puts in something like 260, right? Um, Mallow then has to go, okay, if you're going to pull 260 today, um, then I then I need to pull um, uh, t- um, two fifty three point five in order to in order to keep my position. But and so I can either put that on the bar and go and pull it if I think if I if I think I'm good for it. But if I'm also quite sure that you're not good for two sixteen, then I can also put in two sixteen. Go out, pull it, miss. You go out, pull it, miss. Right. So mm-hmm. and 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 that and that scenario we've added this extra extra method. Right. So. Mallow's got to try and pull, sorry, um, Lawrence has to try and pull Mallow up to something that Mallow thinks she can get, but that she also believes that Lawrence can get. And that's why it's such like a pipe game theory, right? Because it's, it's not about what either of them can do. It's about what they think they can do. Um, 
Uh, I she probably doesn't remember, but I went and spoke to Lawrence um, afterwards just when she was at the, the A7 standout back just to kind of get sort of the inside scoop um, on her mindset. Like, what do you think you could have pulled if you needed to pull more? What do you think you could have done? And she said 260 to 270 easy. Um, and, well, not easy, but like <laughs> 260 to 270 was there. And because that's what you're meant to believe, you can pull anything, right? And yeah. so then it's a question of, you know, what does Joey believe she can pull that day? Um, and, 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 and yada, yada, yada. And so it's about figuring out what that is and then forcing the other person to make that call. And so, and so that's how I think it would have played out is that they would have put in um, something like if there were two separate coaches and it was Iron versus Bill, um, that Lawrence would have dropped hers first. Um, she, um, she, would have dro- she would have dropped it to something like um, 260 or 257, um, after which um, Lo- um, Lo- Lawrence would have um, put, a, put a change into either she believes that Amanda could hit that number if she does. She goes and um, um, she, she goes and attempts seven, um, six and a half kilos less than that, and, and, and gets it and forces Amanda to go up again. Um, or she blocks Amanda from taking a lower weight and takes some um, and nominates the same weight as her, goes out and misses, and and, for, and forces them both to miss. So those are the sort of two ways it could go, um, and and that's what two competitive coaches um, would always do. Whereas what it appeared in the moment was that basically they decided who was stronger out back some, somehow. Um, and then, you know, they get, they gave, they gave Mallow 252, which um, was kind of sadly is exactly the amount that Amanda needed to beat her if she missed it. So that the 252 wasn't even pushing Amanda higher than she needed to go. Right. Like if they put in 255, 257 or something like that, um, it would have at least driven um, that, you know, they're both going to miss them. Mallow missed 252, right? So she would have missed anything above it as well. Um, but it would have at least increased the chances of Amanda missing, right? And so you've got, you've got, to, you've got to play to the other athletes' um, self-confidence and, and, and those sorts of things and, and push them up higher. But instead, they gave Amanda the easiest possible position to win from the position that she was in, if you, if you know what I mean. And, and that doesn't strike me as particularly fair um, on, um, on Danny. And so, and so in that environment where you've got that complicated coaching scenario, and like Arian doesn't have much to do about it because like he's there. Um, the athletes are saying, you know, I want him. I'm happy for Joey to coach both of us and make the calls. Um, Arian is not going to lose team points. He doesn't care which order they come in. But in terms of the actual individual athlete, right? It's individual athletes who are um, who are there. Um, Danny didn't get the strategic advantages that she would have if it had been a different coaching scenario or different countries versus each other and those sorts of things. Was it, do we know for sure it was, so I didn't ask them directly. Do we, do we know that though, that Joey was healing both at once? Cause I saw Sean with Danny. So I wasn't sure if it was actually like that or, or do you know? You can, ask, it, you can, you, you can ask Joey. That's what I said, but you can ask Joey. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I, I don't want to read between the lines too much. Even what, cause no. yeah, I don't want to fill the blanks in too much without knowing, um, so well, even 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 if even if it wasn't Joey who was who was making the call, the um, it's still a strategic error regardless right, of who. Right, right, right. That's what it's Right. Yeah, and the strategic error was made because it was a complicated coaching environment. Um, right. Who made the call doesn't matter. Um, but one one athlete didn't get the strategy that I know Bill and Arian deploy all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's that, that, that's, that's bread and butter. Don't drop your opener first if you're both positioning. You both got placeholders, and you just, you just never would do that. That's bread and butter strategy, and and she didn't get that bread and butter, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that's a shame. But but here's why it might not matter. This is real revisionist history now, right? So we're going to dive going to dive to earlier in the timeline, 
yeah. um, and we're not not going. We're not after second attempts. We're on opener, right? So, so, so we've got the openers. Um, they've got so what? What have they submitted? They submitted two thirty one um, and two thirty one point five. And so Danny's um, from 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 the start of the day has has the jump on Amanda. She's um, she's placed her opener higher, so we know that she's going to be going. We know that she's going to be going second. But Lawrence has Bill on her side, right? In this imaginary scenario, and Bill's going to like repel from the ceiling. He's a fucking ninja. He's hiding, right? And he's waiting for that last second to get the drop on Arian. And he goes down and he drops it. He brings it from 231 to 238, right? Which is, it's aggressive. It's a pretty high opener. But we also see Lawrence like smoke 245.5, right? Like, like, so we know that she's, you know, she's, she's strong today. If she's confident in that 238 and we've, and we've, and we've worked that out with each other, that's where we're going to open. And now not only do we, um, do we have, the position where we can see what um, Danny's going to choose next, which she doesn't have in the original scenario, right? In the original scenario, Danny always follows her. So not only do we have position, we've also got total. And so we're in complete control going through this, right? So no matter what Mallow puts in next, bam, I'm matching that. So I'm seven kilos above. And it might mean I'm pushing my second attempts harder than I want to, but we're going to be able to see everything, right? And so then, then Danny's going to be taking smaller jumps between the second and the third. Um, and, and we're going to, um, we're, we're going to put our opener way high because we've got we've got position. So now so now we're going to be in position after seconds, and then a man, and then and then Mallow's going to have to blink first, choose her weight. We're going to see if she gets it. If she gets it, um, we're going to drop as low as we can um, go to um to get that extra seven kilos above her. Um, and if she doesn't get it, then we can go right back down to um same weight as her or take anything we want because we've already got the win locked up after second weight. So that's alternate history. Um, how it might play out if it was um, if it was separate coaches from that very first opener. So, and that's the yeah. advantage of when we're talking about all the different variables. When you're always following the lifter, when you're always going after them, you see it come. So, if you can, and it's there, and that's where you had to have that we were talking about earlier. You have the conversation: How heavy can we open? And are we talking ninety percent, ninety-one percent? And you start having those conversations. It's tough. I mean, sometimes you risk it, sometimes you don't. It is, well, you put that up there on purpose, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. I just, I just, I just, I just want to play a game with you, right? So this is, this is second attempts okay. for both of the we've, um, we've, I've, I've muted the audio. And so we're just, we're just going to make a call as to what they've got on the day. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Because I don't remember exactly the thirds. She fucking okay. smoked that pretty good. Yeah, so it's great, right? So that like that that could have been an opener. You can certainly imagine her opening only seven kilos lighter than that, right? Two, one red. And so what what you're thinking about is not just what you think she's good for, but what she thinks she's good for, and what a coach thinks she's good for as well. Um, boom! Now we've got Mallow coming out. So by this stage someone probably joey has already gone and put in amanda's next attempt right she's already gone and put it in so there's arian love, and Sean i love the deep with... path there you see you see arian yelling at the platform move the bar back you know yeah. like yeah. controlling everything for his athletes right you're this... So for the listeners, Danny's about to hit her. This is her second. This is her second attempt as well. So this is this is half a kilo heavier, the world record. Smoked it yeah. too. Smoked it as well, right? So there's, there's, 
there's, there, there's me and Brett getting, I'm going to get real riled up. So, um, <laughs> and, and so like, there's not, there's, there's not a lot between them, right? There's not a lot between them there. And so there's, there's no reason for, for Mallow to not think that she can pull as much as Amanda can that day. And, and in the end, it was a very, very small difference between um, what they, what they were both capable of. And they were both capable of, I think, less than what they were anticipating they were capable of, which is the real, which is the real point, right? Um, so um, anyway, I think those are, I mean, obviously those two polls is two of like, when do you get a meet where every single deadlift between those two was a world record from openers yes, to third, right? Crazy. It's just all, it's just, it's just an absolutely phenomenal thing to watch. Um, and, and that's what I mean by they're both, like they're both world champions in my mind, right? Um, but it was, it was, it was so close. And after, after those seconds, you can just see like, what's the, what's, what's the call that you would make? What do you think Amanda might think she might be good for after watching a pull 248? Like, does she look like someone who's like, yeah, I could do 12 kilos more than that? I think she does. You know, I think, I think when you watch that, you don't realize like that they fail like right at the top and at, at lockdown and that it can still move quite fast off the ground and, um, mm-hmm. um, and all those sorts of things. Um, and so can, can you put, put her in a position where she's going to have to take that 260, even though she doesn't have it. I think you can convince her to in the time. I don't think she goes, no, I don't have it, and goes down and pulls 252. I just, I just, I just don't think that's how it plays out in the moment, you know. So anyway, like amazing showdown. Um, I think there are other days where Amanda could have won, and on this day, I think like eight times out of ten, I think, I think Mallow um, takes it. Um, and what I guess I'm gutted because Mallow all that weight people have been asking me. You, Mallow, Mallow, yeah. I, th- I think if we intervene at the end of second deadlifts, I think Mallow takes it eight times out of ten, like strategically. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Not, 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 because, not because she's stronger, not because she's stronger, but because she was in a better position and she was a better powerlifter that day, right? So, like, strength is the most important asset on on competition day, but it's not the only asset. Mm. And Mallow has competition history, and you can go into more details than that, right? So it's like. Let's look, let's look at Amanda Lawrence, right? She missed her third deadlift in the previous three meets before that. You know, like this is a, this is a person who regularly puts on more weight than she can handle on her third deadlifts, and so let's let's bait her into doing that. That's her most common mistake. Let's get that to her. She didn't like. She 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 took the absolute minimum, and it was less than I think she thought she was capable of that day, right? Like she would have taken a bigger jump than that between her second and her thirds normally. Um, and so we didn't get a chance to exploit that weakness. You've got to exploit that weakness. It was, it was there, right? Um, and, you know, Amanda's training has been going amazing, and Mello might not get a chance to beat her at 84s again, you know? Which it, is, um, it, is fun. it is, like, um, it's crazy where when you hear a guy like you break it down, all the different variables, watching all the, diff- all the video, and, and, yeah, where you're saying, look, I'll throw out a stat here. Amanda's missed her last three leading into this. Historically speaking, she feels like she might have more in her on her thirds. Um, so play into that and and make her make the decision without seeing exactly what she needs to pull. Because if I go first, she knows exactly what she needs to load the bar. If she's playing shooting blind, historically speaking, last few meets anyways, she shot too high. Um, so hmm. let's just see. Let's just see if she shoots too high again. Last three times she did. Let's just see where she's how confident she is. Where if that's your chance, you gotta shoot your shot. I mean, it is um, you, you got there's so many. It's it's some complex stuff. You know, you can't just vibe it. You gotta crunch the numbers and strategically make these calls. And um, yeah, I don't like we're replaying it now. At the I've never rewatched it. I'm not quite as into it as you. Where I'm gonna rewatch game day footage and be like, you know, break down the strategy. 
Um, but uh, I expect no less from guys like you who are super into game day coaching. But um, I remember on the day of um, saying, like, I think Amanda has to play first. It's a game of chicken. Once the placeholders got put, Amanda's got to play first because if the two placeholders stay, they're both tugging the bar. They both can't get it. Um, Mellow's ahead. So you have, yeah. you have to play first. But um, yes. this is one of those... <laughs> In that coach's head, imagine being at the you're at the desk with your card and you're staring the other coach God, in the eye. That's too tense. Because <laughs> that's nice. what it actually comes down to, right? It's like, and because I can imagine heaps of scenarios where you just you just wait it out and then you both miss, right? So I'm just standing there, put your card down, show me, I'm show, show me what you got. And this is when we talk about sometimes the math is split seconds because um well it's not split seconds you've, you've still got you've still got a while because you've got until they say bar loaded right. But when he puts the card down. I actually have to lean over, read it, and go, are you putting that in? And then I have to go, that plus seven kilos, write the number and right. put the card down as, as well, right? So it's not um, it's not split seconds, but you've got to do it in the moment, right? There's no go check to your mates about it. It's, yeah. um, you have to make the decision right there, and it's based off the decision that um, that they're making. Yeah, so that's how I think um, that could have gone down, and I think that, I think that sucks about the Danny. So. It's, it's so, um, historically speaking, are those two biggest a pop-out is – 84, 83 with Brett. Like, is there any other ones where you've seen where you're like, oh, shit, like certain case studies? Oh, I want, I want to talk to you about the craziest one. I've got another video lined up as well. Let's do it. And we're going to have to go back in, back in the time machine. We're going to go to 2016. Ooh, I was about to World. 80, 80, 84 is again. We're in Colleen. Um, and it's Anna Castellan versus Elias Strickland. Oh, Stripper. dude, my dude. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and here's the thing. This is... This is you don't see this stuff from other teams, and I don't think this is. I'm not recommending this move. This is this is this is some advanced shit that, ha- that happened to be appropriate in this circumstance, and I haven't seen it be appropriate um, in others virtually ever. But I'm going to talk about fake missing your second deadlift, and we're going to we'll, we'll, we'll watch it first. And I want to show. Uh, this is what a fake miss looks like, right? If, if anyone if anyone's seen seen Anna lift before, um, they know. That this is a fake deadlift. So what? Yeah. So what I'm going to show is let me, the. Let me also say this, that that what we just saw was beautiful segue into this, where you're paying attention to how the other person hits their second to get a gauge on where they're at that day. So you do some shit like this to throw them off. That's right. And by the way, Ilya Strick, I was in a car ride with her and is battling with Ilya Strick, who's a multiple-time world champion. And it was against Ilya that Anna pulls this stunt. And Ilya Strick in that car ride was like, you know what? Looking back, she fucking faked that second attempt. <laughs> right? I don't know. I'm paraphrasing. Absolutely. But Absolutely. And this is, this, is, this, is, this is what it looks like, okay? She's got 202 on the bar. Oh, mess. Now, she normally gets more hyped. She's not that sad, and this is my favorite bit, the fist bump, right? That is, that is someone who just went out and did their job, right? She just went out and did their job. But there's a specific thing that they were baiting Ilya Stricken into doing, right? So, so Ilya was the stronger lifter that day, right? Okay, so um, when, so, so where are we at? We're on, sub, we're on subtotals. Um, Stricken's ahead, right? By, by quite a bit. I think you said by, um, by, by 12 kilos or, put, or so. Can we put you back on the screen? Because I'm looking at myself and I feel weird as shit talking to myself. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Bam! There are we go. 
There we go. So. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so, so Ellie is up by um, looks like twelve and a half kilos, and she and she and she's got the smaller deadlift, right? So she's opening on she's opening on one eighty. Um, so she gets that, and we've got um, Castellan opening on one one ninety two, which I bet she bumped from one ninety to one ninety two because that gets her um, the the winning deadlift, right? So she's not only lifting last, but she's also um, got total after that as well, right? And so that's why this is such a big gamble on the next. And so Ilya goes up to 187, and it is a smoke show, right? So it's a gr- it's a great deadlift from Ilya, showing that she's ready for you know a PR if she needs it. She looks confident. She's 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 now in the lead again, and Anna's about to come out with her with her 202 deadlift. You can imagine Ilya's there watching her or her coaches watching, and she can't get the 202 off the ground. It's like not going to catch us now, you know. Um, so, so she puts, um, Elia puts in 195 for her, um, for her second. And, um, and has just got, um, leaves that 202 to take it again. Oh no, I hope I can hold on to silver. Well, it's me. Um, and remembering that Anna only weighs like 74 kilos at this meet, right? She's yeah. not just a lighter lifter. She's a way lighter lifter. Um, and, um, and so Strickland's got 195 in, but then, you know, that she's, she's, which she's definitely good for. It's not an attacking deadlift, right? It's not a stretch. Um, it's, it's, it's less than her PR, um, and so and so they sit with that um, for a while. Remember, they put that in before they saw Anna take the two hundred two. Before they saw her take that, so that's what they want to do when they think Anna might get the two hundred two. She doesn't, and so what do they do? They do exactly what Anna wants them to do. They drop it by another two and a half kilos. Son of right. a bitch! And here's the thing: they drop by another two and a half kilos. They think they're beating and, her total without the last day. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Right? And so and so and so they go, let's make it even safer. Let's lock in two ninety two. She missed she missed two oh two. There's no way she's making two oh five. Savannah didn't miss two oh two. She just didn't even take it, right? Yeah. And so then and so then Anna comes around and she puts on two oh five. And you know, it is hard. It is a hard lift, but she knew she had it before she even went out there. And she goes out and she hits this two oh five to take gold on body weight. And the thing is if Ilya had taken the 195, which she was more than capable of doing that day, more than capable of doing, she 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 put it in there. She was having a good day. Her 187 was great, more than capable of doing. But she didn't take it. She took an easier attempt, which she thought was still going to really secure her the win since she already had it. Um, and then that bait, that two and a half kilos, was all Anna needed in order to be able to go actual 10 RPE, actual to her limit, 205, 10 RPE, get it up. And she, and she gets that lift, and I'm like, wow, she was no, she was not the strongest lifter that day, and she won because she used this gambit that tricked um, Ilya Strickland into taking two and a half kilos lighter than she needed to. And Ilya probably could have done five kilos more, maybe seven and a half, right? Like it's See, like. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Anna, or yeah, Anna Rosa Castellane's third day, I remember being a huge scrap, struggle bus. She looked like she was gyrating her hips like Shakira out there, fighting to get it off. And when she got it, was celebrating like she that was. I think that would have been probably her limit, if I remember correctly. It was a hell of a fight. And if no two or seven, no, she was done. That was that. That was a wrap. It was two fight. There was no two or seven. If Strick made her load the bar with two or seven and a half or fucking more, that's a wrap, son. That's a wrap. Strick has it, but she's thinking, perhaps appropriately or narrowly. It's not about PRs. Like we, we just let's solidify the win here. What are we talking about? Yeah. Get the win. It's not about if, big if, hits. If if Anna legitimately missed the two or two, 
the 192 is exactly the correct call. 100%. It's exactly the correct 100%. call. That's the call that I would make like every single day of the year. Um, and maybe from when you're watching from behind, you can't tell. Like, I, like, I mean, it's all, it's all hindsight for us, right? Do we get to say that, like, that, that, that it's fake because we did see her pull 205, right? And then when you know that and you watch her, you're like, actually, now that I know that she did it, you watch it, you can see the, the body language cues. He, if you'd watch some other footage, you might see that she normally fails above the knees if she's going to miss a deadlift, oh, right? But she fails you, like... You, even know, you even know her fist bump when she normally fails. Her fist bump was off. I don't like the fist bump. You're in the back room and yeah. I don't like the fucking fist bump. It's a phony fist bump. I've seen a real fist bump. I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. Step for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a, and so... Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, I remember myself, Justin Reeson on the Team Canada, he put in a second and he told me, and his man is a big fucking second. And I remember him telling me, because um, he knows my numbers, you give it to him. He's like, I need you to hit this. I, I need you just to fucking, you know, like the fist bump we just showed. I need you to give me a fist bump like that was nothing. I don't want you to celebrate. I need you to smoke it. I need you to smoke it fast, as fast as possible. And you walk away like it's nothing. We give a small little fist bump. And I'm going to put something crazy big time as your third dead. Because I'm pulling heavier than the guys below me who are pushing. And want to make a push. Yeah. So I need them to think, oh shit, he's got a massive dead in him. So they all over pull because they're all overshooting, and then I get to pull last, and then I get to start snagging up spots. So it is even a celebration. Even like I know it's funny, whatever the fist bump, but for real, you might tell a person, don't come to me, don't reveal. Look, we're playing poker right now, and you're showing too many cards. Don't show the cards. If we're gonna do this the way I want to do this, this is how we got to do. This is how we got to win. So whether yeah. you're pretending to win, whether you're pretending to hit, and it's a super big hit, you got to play it off, like whatever. You don't give a small fist yeah. bump, no big deal. I got so much more in the tank. Or if you're gonna fake a fail, you better fail. You, you gotta sell it. <laughs> but yeah, that was probably um, in terms of gamesmanship. That um, I've seen some people skip on a second dead, like just not come out not show any cards and then come up for the third and then you're kind of backed in the corner. You need to hit it. However, your extra rest, you get to see what you have to pull, etc. So there's different games you could play at different times, but Yeah. Well that's a like Emil Norling versus Vladislav right. in um in Sweden in twenty nineteen since junior one oh fives. It's it's kind of a similar position, right? And like Emil didn't have a real strategy to to play there. I don't I don't think skipping the second Helped him. It might have. It might have. Like Vladislav might have blinked first, but Vladislav had had position on him um, by 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 five kilos at the start already, and he was lifting second um, after um, after openers and on seconds if Emil had taken it, um, and so he was um, it, it was it was well ahead. They both they both put in place all the openers, um, but Vladislav was winning, which means that um, we all think we all think in our memories. I think that Norling gets to pull last, and it's this big surprise. But he doesn't actually. Vladislav pulls last, and he pulls oh. um, two fifty five, and, 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 and he misses it. Right? It's not, it's not how we remember it because it makes the Swedish coach not seem like a genius when she is a genius, right? <laughs> um, and so, and so, Emil has to get the three fifty five, or, or 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 else he loses. Um, but Vladislav still gets the final word, right? And so, and so he pulls three fifty five point five, and um, and 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 misses it, which is. And he, and he actually, yeah, he, he would have only needed 350, but he, um, but he can't, but he can't take it. So the only other gameplay that could have happened was that maybe Vladislav was good for 352, 
and Emil wasn't good for 357. And so Vladislav could have, after they see the 355 go in, he could have nominated 352, gone out and taken it first um, and said, I, you've got a deadlift five kilos more than me, can you do it? Emil probably could have. I mean, I remember 355 really clearly. It's, um, it's an easy call for him, to be honest. Um, but I don't think it's a conditioning thing. Like Norlin goes three for three normally on um, on deadlifts. He doesn't normally skip his second. Um, like he's a bit of a sleeper agent and that people didn't like know what he was necessarily capable of. Um, but it didn't really beget any major strategic advantage to him um, on the day. So. What about in the European Championships um, with, I believe it was Gustav Hedlund and um, Anatoly for the Europe, European Championships 93 kilo, I believe... Somebody skipped their second attempt, and um, or did Anna, and Anna, Anatoly didn't even have to come out for his third. He had it locked up. Uh, or is that right? I'm, I, am, am I, I think I might be. I, 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 I do not follow the ninety threes close enough to um yeah. um to have, to have been stalking that um that, that particular mate. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me, man. I feel, I feel like there are things going on in Europe that we just like, don't even know about. <laughs> when, it, when it comes to coaching strategy, so yeah, yeah. I mean, they they do I. Obviously, in terms of like the Sweden, Russia, I mean, these are, these are some coaching staff that do just as much research on us as we do on them. And some of this stuff is harder to find, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, one of the things with the um, uh, Carolina, with the um, Swedish coach, is that she's she's not only like innovative and incredibly good on the on the game day strategy front, but her athletes just love her right and they and she creates like such a fun environment that she just consistently gets these great performances out of her athletes um and it's and it's just like cultural norm out the back it's just jokes just great banter she just keeps people like in the right mood in the right headspace and just gets these like stellar performances out of them right and i think that's a you know it's a real underrated skill that she happens to also be the excellent at um so it's really cool who are some of these teams that you think are, are on the come up. Like, I just recently had on the French women. And, um, I mean, the French women have turned into a powerhouse, it feels like, in one year's time. They went from going into Sweden, and not a lot of us, they weren't necessarily on the radar like they should have been. After Sweden, after the European Championships, they're collecting international titles, breaking world records, uh, moving into the league, going into these worlds, uh, you know, in certain weight classes. Obviously, the American women are going to be the favorite, but it's by no means the smoke show that it used to be. It's not like we were saying... In terms of the the Michael Jordan and the NBA All Stars going into the Olympics and yeah. basketball, it's tighter. It's tighter now. And who are some of the teams internationally that you think can threaten as a team, not just? Yeah, I, th- I think. I th- yeah, I, th- I, th- I think. Um, I, th- I think. You know, France is the um, France is the obvious example. Um, I think Italy is probably going to be one of those next ones. Like, um, what's her name? Cariola, the the sixty three. Gara, oh, yeah, Trinidad, right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you see them making pretty smart, um, pretty smart moves on game on, on game day as well. And so I think it's, re- I think it's really open. I think a lot of the good coaching and strategic talents probably wasted on equipped in Europe. Um, and so, if we ever see the World Games uh, go um, go raw, and we'll see more of Europe go go raw as a result, um, that we might um, start meeting a whole new coaches that know all, you know all kinds of great stuff. Mm. Um, and so, 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 so look forward to that day and for raw being. Not that I want equipped to go away, but I want I want war to be as big as it can possibly be, you know. Um, That's an interesting. So, yeah, so, so, so I look forward to that. That's interesting. You're right. Like, look at Jaroslav, seventy four kilo world champion, like twenty one days in a, or twenty one days, twenty one years in a row, or something crazy like that. Finally lost in two thousand nineteen, 
And you think of like the, the talent like that that's out there in the equipped division, most of it in Europe, that we'd never see. And if, if, yeah, I mean, me neither, I don't want it to go away. But imagine you just said, all you guys in terms of depth of talent, you're over here now. All your coaching staff in terms of everything you do and the coaching staff they have in the equipped, equipped is a lot longer, deeper in terms of you know historical significance and how much footage they've seen, mm. how much how many reps they've got in at the at the world top level, you take all the coaching staff, all of the athletes. Now you're over here. Now you're playing in the sandbox, and you bring in those goats. Yeah. It could be, I mean, maybe bonkers. We were already yeah. deep <laughs> in the IPF worlds. Yeah, yeah. I th- I, th- I think we're I think that's largely what we've seen in the last couple of years. You know, so we've seen. Really increased um, talent at, um, at, at the international coaching world, um, which is really great to see. Um, but I mean, I mean, Equip's gone through those same transitions as well, right? Like, like back in the day, people weren't making the sort of detailed decisions they need to make now because there wasn't the depth, right? And so there was talented people, but the spreads were greater. Um, Avi talked about this as part of why I love um, game day coaching for smaller women, way more complex than game day coaching for larger men because the numbers are so much smaller, right? When the numbers are smaller, you've got way more chances of there being overlap. And two and a half kilos are starting to matter like a lot more. Body weight starting to matter a lot more. Like that is um, that's you need depth at every single level in order to get the practice and the experience and apply the skills. Mm-hmm. Um, well, having said that, one thing I wish more coaches would do, and I mean, I get hit up about this because I take take things a little too seriously sometimes. Um, which is that you should practice these skills at every level, right? So, so it, it might be some. It might just it might just be a one on one, you know. It might be a one on one across divisions. You're and you're practicing your your IPF point competition or something like that. But in every meet, don't don't give up position just because just because it's a local meet. You should practice these skills um, because it's only by practice that when you get to those higher levels that you can that you can do the work and do the quality stuff right. And so one thing I tell athletes in New Zealand, which is a huge privilege, right, is that because we're such a small country, you don't have to be a genetic freak to make our international team. You just don't, right? You just going to work real hard, and if you want to go there, and if you can afford it, you're going to go and get to go and see what it's like to perform at those levels. Um, whereas, like in the states, right, like getting onto the, <laughs> you can be incredible. You can be a genetic freak, the hardest worker, and um, and still not make the team in the US just because they've got so much depth, right? And so we get a real privilege of getting to compete at these these international events, as um like we, we can still bring full teams, right? So it's a great great privilege. What do you think? Because um, we're coming up to two and a half hours, but for anyone listening, who is at the local level, whether you're a lifter or a coach, what are a couple key things you think would be, all right, if you could just give a few rules, here's a few rules to work with that you should never disobey, and if you just, you're not, they're not going to approach it like you are, they're not going to have like 40 hours behind them going into a battle, and the way you broke down some of, some of these game day strategies, it's going to be over a lot of people's heads. Let's be honest. You've got to really yeah. be into this. It's like certain people are super into math, and they're like, I can teach you how to do this math problem. Like, probably. But if I'm not as into it as you are, it's going to be a struggle by situation. If you love what you're doing, you are going to be up all night just crunching these numbers. But what are a couple numbers, or sorry, what are a couple rules you can give somebody? You'd be like, look it, use these, if nothing else, nine times out of ten, yeah. you should be all right. Yeah. So, so, so the, the first, the first one is that at a competition, your goal should be to go nine for nine. That's like your first thing, particularly when you're coaching beginner and intermediate lifters. Nine for nine is the first thing. That's a good, if someone goes nine for nine, they should walk away from the day regardless of where they came in position. They should come in. Um, they should walk away feeling happy, right? Just try and go nine for nine. 
Um, the, the second one is, um, and it's kind of like the first advanced strategy that you might apply, is um, try and maintain control during deadlifts, right? And that's so when you can, be the lifter who goes who goes second. And don't be in a position where you're going second just for the block number, right? Like if you can bump it two and a half kilos, um, then, then get control that way. Um, and then the um, and then the third thing is is just like get get all of those logistics right on the day. So have a warm up plan, um, time the warm ups. You know, have have, have a stopwatch going. Um, like know what number lift you're going to be doing, what warm up on for the alternating fights and all those sorts of things. So if you're managing the warm ups well, so the person's never rushed, never having never having a bad time in the back room, getting access to equipment, getting through the lifts, that's going to be great. If they're making lifts, they're going to be having fun. And if they're playing a little strategy that having that control on deadlifts. And that's 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 a good day. Right? Like that's that's sort of like the total basic package of of a good handler. He gets you he gets you all of those things, um, and so on. yeah, that just mean, that just means that the coach has got to check their ego at the door, right, and think about what the athlete's good for on the day and, um, and how to make that. So yeah, and don't be attached um, to these numbers you hit in the gym. Yeah. One um one one note that I've um that I've got here that I want to talk about. So I just want to talk about the importance of showing up, right. And that you've got to show up to these meets at the highest level you can get to as often as you can, because you never know when it's going to be your time, right, to get it. Because people get injured, people make silly mistakes, people bomb, all of these things happen. People people get sick, um, and it's only by being there that you get to win. So, like Ashton Ruska, right, like amazing ninety three one hundred five, hasn't been the world, right. So I don't care if he's thirty kilos stronger than Eli Burke. Eli Burke's the one hundred five world champion. Um, yeah. Because he's there, yeah. pulling for the win, and um, and and taking it right. So you got to show up. And I think I think the 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 saddest example of that right, is that. So love Kelly Branton, hate what he did. But if Kelly was in Sweden last year, he would have won, right? So like he's like his best, like Jez, Jez won with a nine seventy two total, right? And Kelly's best total is like over a thousand kilos, right? And Jez was. Um, Jezza was was sick, not 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 as sick as Ray, but but, but sick, and um and 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 Ray was sick, and it was Kelly's time to freaking go out and crush it, and he didn't get to right because the mistakes he made, um which meant that he couldn't show up, and so you don't know when your time is coming. People leave these sports all the time. People get injured all the time. Um, people get sick all the time. People make dumb mistakes. Um, and it's by being there. Part of being good at sport is being at the competitions and making it part of being good at sport. Is not just being the strongest person. It's being the strongest person who doesn't get injured for the longest time, right? Like, um, I remember the first time I got to speak to Kimberly, I told her that the most impressive thing about Kimberly wasn't just that she had this amazing deadlift that it was, you know, over over, two, over 240 kilos, and um, and like, yes, she's only adding, you know, 0.5 a kilo or a kilo to that record every single year, but she's doing it every year, right? Like, she is always, she doesn't have it down here, right? Like, is her body indestructible? Like same with Jim Thompson until she um, got that um, injury recently, right? Is that these best athletes aren't just the best because they're the strongest, right? They're the best because they keep showing up um, and they and they keep improving and they and they and they don't have down years, and that's an amazing physical achievement to have been at the edge of human potential for so long um, and just to be able to keep on keep on coming back, right? And that yeah, that just blows me away. And I just wish more people would just show up because some people only want to show up. When they're when they're going to get that top three position, when that when they're going to get what their ego tells them they deserve, right? But you only get the skills to win at this sort of shit by by being there. Um, and so yeah, 
you got to go there. And I mean, Brett came tenth for this first Worlds, man. Like, like, like he's he's there, coming bottom of the pack, bottom of the pack, and he's showing up and he's and he's earning those skills that make him, a, you know, multi-time world champion later in his career. Um, and so, regardless of who you are, I can get out there, get on the platform, and you know, make it happen. If you show up ten times in a row, that moment where we talked about where. Brett shows up less than best, or he shows up less than best. Whoever's going to show up, people show up less than best, and we've seen it. People make strategic decisions that are not for the best interest, and we've seen it at all high levels. Things happen. If you don't show up because you think, like, oh, I'm probably not going to win, like, if you keep showing up time after time again, 10 times in a row, you're going to fucking hit Peter. But you got to show up. Mm. You don't know which time it is. Yeah. Out of those 10 times, no. if I told you you got a 10% chance of winning, here's your 10 shots, are you just going to blindly shoot three times out of there and hope that you showed up that one time? You got to go all 10, my friend. You're going to take nine Every losses. Time. You're going to take nine losses. However, that one win, ain't nobody going to say shit after that. You no. know, But you got to suffer through that. nine losses to get the one win. That's the key to showing up when it comes to sports. It's odds. It's playing the odds every time. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good takeaway. Listen, much we appreciate your time and breaking down these. Do we get all the case studies? Or did you have enough? We do, man. Those, okay. those, those are the ones I wanted to head up. Thank, thank you so much for your time, man. Dude, one question before I let you go. When it all said and done, when you're looking back at your career, how do you want to be remembered? I'm not sure I want to be remembered that much. I just want the, I want, I want the people that I really admire you know like i want i want arian and matt gary harvey silverberg and all those guys just to you know think that um you know that that, that, that were my heroes and want to want to keep on working until they become your rivals and um but you know i just want to i want i want to be remembered by them as someone who was like worth competing against right so i know as long as those guys remember me i'm going to be happy um and like i've just loved every minute being in this sport this sport changes people's lives man like i've 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 seen it take I've seen people start this sport who are C students failing, and it's by doing the sport, getting the structure, learning that by the harder you work at something, the better you get at it. Like I've seen, I've seen that turn to people that like A students, scholarship winning students, and like I just, I just love what this sport can do to people. So I need to be remembered. I just want the respect from my heroes. You're a humble dude, man. You're a humble dude. How can people get a hold of you if they want coaching, handling, or whatever? Yeah, so, so I don't I don't do, do a lot of programming. Um, game day coaching. If I'm if I'm there, I'll do it for you. But just hit me up on Instagram DMs, just at Angus Blair. Okay, mate. Anybody you want to thank before we let you go? I just thank Rory, man. He's my thought partner um, in all of this stuff, and he's been, he's been really great. And thank thank you for your time as well. All right, buddy. Thank you very much for coming on, man. You've been a great guest. Until next time, my yeah. friend. See you. Until man. next time. Yeah. Bam! There it is. Another two hours and 40 